Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast, is brought to you by, well, you. If you want to learn how to support our show, go to CollinsLastStand.com. Greetings and salutations. Welcome back to Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast. This is episode 123. My name is Colin Moriarty. I'm joined as always by the lovely Chris Raygun. Chris, how's your life? Hey, hey, it's it's uh, the same, although yeah. uh, the world is kind of uh, wild right now. I know it is. Did you uh, get out there and uh, exercise your right to vote? I did early. I oh. did it like way early. So like I, I, nice. I, I didn't want to be outside on election day like at all if i could help it you know not a bad idea yeah not a bad idea after i live in a swing state virginia so i get bombarded by political ads and have been not that i watch very much tv but when i watch football games and whatever and i became so tired of these every literally everyone running in my area the congressman all of that i'm just like i'm i abstained i didn't vote fuck it yeah I, you know give me give me a candidate worth voting for and I'll go vote for them until then have at it I'm glad yeah. everyone else exercised their vote or, or lack thereof I, I'm glad that we don't live you know I love Australia but they have compulsory voting there I think it's good that we don't have compulsory voting because my vote was simply my here's my vote nah that was my <laughs> that was my vote yeah yeah nah, I don't think so so we'll see what happens but uh congratulations to the winner of course and it seems like the reaction or another reaction, but the results indicate a much more moderate society, which I think is great. Yeah, personally, and, you know, it looks like Biden's going to win, which I have don't really have a huge problem with. But the House is now more conservative, although still in Democratic hands. And it looks like the Senate will remain with the Republicans. So things have gotten more conservative, but I think we might have purged at least hopefully maybe the one of the. The symptoms of the of what's going on and we can get back to normal but that's i don't i don't agree, i don't think that's going to happen yeah we so. don't know at this point it's still just a complete crapshoot so we'll see like what kind of lawsuits get brought forth and what kind of new nonsense gets thrown to the into the mainstream but until then this feels like this is going to last for a while yeah and it's it's interesting because and we'll move on obviously after this but 
it's it's interesting just because it reminds me a little bit of 2000. If people are old enough to remember mm-hmm. the election 20 years ago, that was that was where the term red state and blue state came from, in case people didn't know. And the idea of of literally having a red state and a blue state that comes from the pretty much NBC's coverage of the of the 2000 election. And of course, that went to the Supreme Court. So we'll see what happens. I remember being in high school when that was going on and people were being like, are we not going to have a president? <laughs> You're like, God willing. Yeah, right. Well, Chris, this is Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast. As everyone knows, we hope everyone is doing well out there. This show goes up each and every week. Three days early and ad free on Patreon at patreon.com slash Collins Last Stand, where you can support us like almost 10,000 of you do. We cannot do this without you. So thank you so much. I will say, Chris, that we or I had Dustin, our executive producer over the house here in the Richmond suburbs Mm -hmm. a couple days ago, and we sorted out the future. We're going to have some exciting stuff coming down the pipe in early January, including a new show and including something that people have been asking for for this show for a very long time. So I'm excited to unleash all of that, but more on that later. Thank you so much for your support. Of course, if you listen on free feeds, thank you for that as well. Please support us there by leaving us nice reviews and sharing us with your friends and family etc and so on sacred symbols plus is our weekly exclusive podcast we only do for patrons at collins last dance patreon last week was a chris solo episode how did that go chris yeah i mean i think it went all right yeah <laughs> you know uh, we obviously get a lot of questions that are very specific to me in those episodes so it's like it's a lot of stuff that like kind of has nothing to do with playstation a lot of the times but um i think we i think it was a pretty pretty good one a lot of people asking about doom which is appropriate yeah, not surprising, I suppose. And uh, we were going to do a launch library ranking that week, but things had kind of gotten fucked up. So we're going to do that this coming week. Uh, we're going to take the, as I said, I think last week, we're going to take the six launch libraries, PS1, PS2, PS3, PS4. Well, actually seven now, PS5, and then, or maybe we'll leave PS5 out and just do a historical rating. And then, of course, PSP and Vita, and just go through those as we approach very quickly as we approach the launch of the console. So I think that that will be... <laughs> Uh, pretty fun and we can work our way through those yeah no it's i think it's a great idea i think it's awesome too because like i I really feel like we're really getting there now because my amazon sent me an email and they were like hey your thing's arriving on thursday it's exciting i did not get that email so i don't i don't know that i'm going to get it from amazon i don't know that i actually bought a fourth one by the way just to be clear off of someone who didn't want theirs anymore so I basically just gave them money and they're going to send me theirs. Wait, why? So would, I have a, wait, hold on. Why would somebody buy a five hundred dollar machine and then decide they don't want it anymore before it's even out? I don't know. Huh? I didn't ask that question when it was offered to me. I was like, sure, I'll take it. Uh, and that's because I'm probably going to give another one away as a present. But the point is, is I'm keeping two for myself and whichever one comes first is going to be mine. And then the second one that comes is I'm going to give to my nephews. Yeah. And so hopefully I get two on launch day. And I actually bought my niece a switch, the Animal Crossing switch. Oh, yeah, that's a nice one. Yeah, it is. And uh, Animal Crossing. So I'm going to I think those are Christmas presents. But I think I want the boys, my nephews, to be part of a console launch. So I'm going to give their PS5 to them that day. And then maybe I'll give her her switch as well. So she doesn't feel left out, obviously. So that'll be pretty exciting. But yeah, we're going to deal with that on Sacred Symbols Plus. I'm really uh, looking forward to that. But we do have a question here from Andrew Arana on Patreon. And remember, you can support us on Patreon to submit your inquiries. He says, I'm tired. Election, PS5, COVID, etc. How are you guys? I know you're mellow most of the time, but has all this stuff been getting to you like it has to me? Surely 
there are many of us in the audience that feel the same way. I have to say that I feel better than I've felt in a long time, but I think that that's personal. Obviously, Mm -hmm. there's a lot of crazy stuff going on in the world. How are you feeling? How are you dealing with everything, Chris? I feel mostly fine. You know, I feel like everything's all right. Weirdly enough, I think uh, I, I think COVID is still like this whole like weird new normal that we've all kind of. Uh, concerningly grown accustomed to is like it's still kind of disconcerting and still off-putting but uh, I think overall I feel I feel totally fine like I I saw a lot of people stressing out on Twitter and like obviously because elections are always stress-inducing times I guess but I don't know I just felt uh, totally divorced from it I felt I felt like almost like there was something wrong with me because I wasn't reacting uh, with a particularly strong emotion regardless and it's not even like i'm like a centrist person either like i'm super left-leaning and i'm like oh yeah you know it'd be nice to not have trump in the white house but at the same time i was like ah you know whatever you know (laughs) like i don't know that's probably a bad thing but like i don't know well maybe i was talking to a friend of mine and she was saying that she was kind of disengaged because she's like my life hasn't really changed at all under trump so why would it change when he's gone or whatever and i'm like yeah that's an interesting theory I try not to be myopic if I can, but it's like I said, and to Andrew's comment, I kind of started disengaging. I think it's pretty noticeable if you follow me on Twitter. I started kind of just disengaging over the summer for the most part. I'm just like, I can't I can't do this anymore. This is this is, in my opinion, I kind of deal with what Andrew's saying, I think, more acutely because I get it. I'm not so tired of PS5 and COVID and all that kind of stuff. I mean, COVID's terrible, but I live in a house by myself. I never go anywhere. I'm not going to you know, if I get it, I get it, I guess. But Yeah, the election stuff, I thought was kind of uh, it was stressful. And I think that the results are surprising to everyone. Like, I feel like. It it looks like Biden's going to win and it feels like that's kind of a hollow victory because it wasn't like a slam dunk victory. It wasn't a repudiation. In fact, Trump got like seven or eight million more votes this time than he got last time, you know, so it shows uh, a little bit of an interesting dichotomy developing or that has developed in our society. And I think the best we can do is just try to be ourselves, try to escape from it as best we can, try to take care of our business, take care of our loved ones. And on this show, we try to just escape from it by being informative and funny and zany and and entertaining. And so we hope, uh, Andrew and others, that you can find an escape with us. I think you can. Uh, just don't cough on anyone. <laughs> yeah. If you can help it. Uh, let's see here. Oh, th- so this was a controversial one. I'll just read the question because mm-hmm. we got a lot of inquiries about this, and I, I'm not surprised that we did, actually. Dorian Brown wrote into us and said, Colin and Chris, I try to be positive when it comes to some of the things you say on the show, but I can't remain silent anymore. Stone Cold Steve Austin is one of the most influential people in wrestling ever. Without him wrestling as we know, it wouldn't be the same. He kicked off the Attitude Era, the most important and well-regarded era in wrestling history. Arguably, him and The Rock carried that era with Hulk Hogan before and John Cena after. To hear Rey Mysterio and Batista be suggested as more important made my ears bleed. The doctors say it can't be cured. I'm damaged. Please apologize to all the rattlesnake fans out there. Thank you. <laughs> so this was a pretty controversial thing that we said. Yeah, last I, week. I don't understand why, because I don't think we were saying uh, who's more important to wrestling, because quite frankly, I don't give a shit about that. <laughs> we, were t- we were talking about like who are the who are the most famous wrestlers, right? And Stone Cold Steve Austin is famous, I'm sure, but like he's not more famous than The Rock. He's not more famous, especially like especially in recent years, like than fucking John Cena or like Batista, who's like in the freaking MCU. You know, like come on, like let's let's be real here. 
Yeah, I was a little surprised by it, too. I mean, because we weren't saying you have to remember the guy that wrote in Ian said that he was arguably the most famous wrestler ever. Right. And I am just 100 percent saying, no, he's not. Yeah, he's certainly not. I, I don't have to be a wrestling fan to know that he's definitely not the most famous wrestler of all time. Sorry, he's not. <laughs> so that's all. That's all we were saying. Is he in the top five or top ten? Sure, I, I assume. Yeah, yeah. And of course, when we say things like million dollar man, and so I mean, we're, we're kidding around. Yeah, but when you yeah. think about Hulk Hogan and Ric Flair and The Rock and The Undertaker, I mean, come on, man. You know, these are names even I know, and I haven't watched wrestling in 20 years. The thing the thing that people like kind of forget is that like you could be the most important person in a field and still not be the most famous. You know what I mean? Like that's a pretty a pretty common thing, I feel like. Like, oh yeah, everybody knows kind of loosely about like Citizen Kane, but like no one's really thinking about Citizen Kane, even if it's if if it is one of the most important movies ever. Nobody thinks about it. I know I as a film student, I, I don't think about it like I was I went to I studied this shit and I couldn't right. stand it. I was like, oh, yeah. Wow. How cool. He did. A, he did a, a fading zoom in the fucking 1810s or whatever the fuck. Big I don't even deal. know what you're talking. I don't even know what you're talking about. I mean, the the the, the whole thing here is. I think it's great. I don't care if people are into wrestling. That's fine. It's not my thing. It used to be. I liked it when I was a kid. But that's all we were. That's all. This whole argument happened because someone said Stone Cold Steve Austin is the most famous yeah, wrestler no. of all time. And no, he isn't. And I don't need to argue about it anymore. He's not. Bro, Randy He's Savage not. was in Spider-Man. <laughs> he was in, he was, he was in <laughs> Bone Spider-Man. Randy. Bone I know. Saw. I know. Give me a quote from Stone Cold Steve Austin that's more iconic than Bone Saws ready. I fucking dare yeah, you. Nah. I dare you. So I don't I don't want to hear about this. We just we just piss him off again, though. I know. (laughs) I don't want to hear about this ever again. If you want to watch wrestling, that's great. I have no problem with that. God, God forgive you. Just don't. Don't ever tell me that Stone Cold Steve Austin's the most famous wrestler of all time, because I'm just going to continue to say, no, he's not. All right. (laughs) Uh, A few things here that we have to just touch on. They're not necessarily big uh, items, but things I wanted to let the audience know about. Number one. Mm -hmm. Ratchet and Clank, the PS5 Ratchet and Clank, which is called what? A Rift Apart. Mm-hmm. I keep wanting to say Into the Nexus, which was like the PS3 one. So it doesn't even make any sense. Insomniac has confirmed that that game is predictably a PS5 exclusive. This is relevant because Spider-Man Miles Morales was kind of pitched as a PS5 game. Then your boy Collins said, I bet you it's a PS4 game. And so it became a PS4 game as well. But this is a PS5 only game. So I wanted to let everyone know that we were kind of talking about that. It seemed like it was impossible for that game to run on PS4. Yeah. And it seems like that is the case. Yeah, so, that, was, that was pretty. That felt pretty clear when when they were showing it. Right. So that's that. Wanted to let everyone know. And also thought this was pretty interesting from software. Just randomly tweeted about Elden Ring. You guys will remember that this game was announced at E3 in 2019 and is due from Bandai Namco, the Japanese publisher who's funding it to come to PS4 and elsewhere. No one really knows what's going on with this game. What's interesting about it is that Miyazaki is working with George Martin, who, of course, is the creator of Game of Thrones to create this game, to kind of create the world of the game. They did tweet out that it's uh, it's still in progress. So if you were wondering about Elden Ring, I, I don't know when it's coming out. I don't know when they're going to talk about it. My assumption is that it's going to get bumped to next gen. Maybe I'm wrong about that, but they did tweet about it. And I know some of you are looking forward to it. So it still exists. Elden Ring still exists. It's good news. And finally, before we get into a a couple more questions, uh, it looks like between the time that we do this episode and next episode, that Mass Effect trilogy might be actually finally announced for PS4. 
there is some speculation this is going to happen because N7 Day, which is November 7th every year, of course, N7 associated with Mass Effect. I think N7, well, N7 was like the special forces, right, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. That was, I, I know there was, it was on all the Shepard, like, armor branding or whatever the hell. Exactly. So they've made, like, a Mass Effect Day over this uh, some years ago, and they're getting some of the cast together from the original games, I guess, for some sort of powwow. So it seems like the game could be announced there, so keep an eye out for that, and we'll talk about that on the next episode. A couple of other things I wanted to get into, kind of a, not a correction, but a challenge here for Chris we got mm-hmm. from Granite Overworld, who says, hey there. Tall and small. I was very surprised last week when small, that's Chris, lamented the idea that Resident Evil 4 would have its aesthetic ruined by the inclusion of something like HDR, making the color scheme untrue to the original. I think this is the wrong take. Clearly, the hot new thing that consoles want to push is ray tracing, something that enhances and deepens the lighting and shadows of a game more than anything else. I think it's far more likely they'll go that route, in which case the game would have an even more intense and oppressive atmosphere. Just my two cents in a quarter. What do you think of that, Chris? Yeah, I mean, that would be nice. Obviously, this is all speculative anyway, because this game is probably a, probably a ways off uh, from even being shown to us. But I, I, I don't know, like just typically based on how I've seen a lot of remasters handled, you know, some of them are great and some of them just really totally miss the mark of the aesthetics of the original and just like the color palettes and the tones that the original set in motion, and, and I think a big part of what r- makes Resident Evil 4 so special is how drab it looks, and like is how kind of like almost beige and like not very saturated and and not very. It's it's just not a. It, it, I don't want to say it's not pretty because it, it does look pretty good, but it's it's not a. It's not a looker, and I th- I think it's that way intentionally, and I I, I feel like. I just feel like just based on having new hardware out there, having this next generation, I feel like they're going to be like, we got to push this lighting. And I feel like it's going to be like super saturated. And I feel like there's going to be like more color and like all this stuff that like, you know, it's not necessarily like the biggest deal, but I I just feel like the, the atmosphere of Resident Evil 4 is so special that I, I don't know if you can really touch that or even really improve it without totally throwing off the tone. But you know, that's, that's just my assumption based on my pure pessimism. I'm sure I'm sure whatever the hell they make out of it's probably going to look amazing. But, you know, it's that original tone that I really want to see carried forward if this thing happens in the way that I think it's going to happen. Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing it. I'm a huge fan of the original game and I'll be interested to Chris's point if they can keep that atmosphere because that brown and gray is so important to the game and uh I assume Chris is over. What was going? On? What, what was that? It's like sounds like you're at Talladega with the 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 race cars going. Uh, yeah, it's election day, so I think the I think you know uh, the jets are flying overboard and dropping bombs. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, well, yeah. it's America. This is it, this is war. Yeah, it is standard. All right, let's see here. Mark Zebro Jr. wrote into us and said, "Hello, Colin and Chris. What is the difference between a slap and a smack?" Thank you and have a nice day, Chris. What is the difference between a slap? And a smack. That's a good question. Yeah. I... Slap and a smack. Huh. I, I really... I sincerely don't know. I think... My my base gut reaction is that a slap is... Uh, close hand. Mm. For some reason. And a smack is like open hand. Mm. But like... But then that, a slap would be... So slap is like a punch? No, no, like... Uh, like... Uh, like just like a complete like your fingers are together it's still it's still open hand but like your fingers are together and it's like uh 
I don't know. How, it's almost like you're pointing with all your fingers, kind of. Mm. But then you're mm. smacking somebody with it. But like a smack is like just like, you know, your uh, your fingers are separated. This is all this is all really just pure semantics at this point because I'm sure they're right. the same exact thing. Yeah, but, they're synonyms. I yeah, think. I, I don't think they're any different really. But that's my gut went that way for some reason. Yeah, I I don't know. As an Italian American, we use the word smack a lot in my family. Like I'm gonna give you a smack. You know, come here, I'll give you a smack. Yeah, I feel like I feel like smack is a little more facetious than slap. Like you get slapped. I feel like that's pretty, pretty uh, telling. But if you get smacked, I don't know. Now, that, it I really th- that-, now that I'm thinking about it more mm. in depth, mm. I feel like the difference between a slap and a smack is where it happens. Mm. It's like a slap in the face, a smack in the butt. Yeah, yeah. Or like a, yeah. a slap really is only the face. Really, because you can't get smacked in the face. I feel like, like you, you can, but they, it would just default to a slap. But you sure. can get, sl- you can't get slapped in the back of the head, but you can get smacked in the back of the head. Well, I don't know. This is a debate for sure. Yeah, Mark, thank you for setting that seed. This might go to the Supreme Court. We'll hear what Amy Coney Barrett has to say about it. <laughs> yeah. And finally, Dick Whiskey wrote into us and said, "Jensen, now this is a famous question, and I'm really interested to hear Chris's take on this." And I think people might be, well, maybe some people know how I feel about this, but he says, gents, Nickelback or Creed? Nickelback, of course, the Canadian rock band Creed, the American rock band, both famous, especially Nickelback, very famous, but not incredibly well-respected bands. Infamous. That's a great way of putting it. What do you think about this? Nickelback or Creed? I read this in the document when I was preparing and I got so infuriated that this was even up for debate. Yeah. Like the idea that this is even a question that people argue about. Obviously Nickelback. Hmm. Obviously. It's interesting. Dude, Nickelback has like f- like pretty f- like they the photograph, they had the the f- that meme where like that photograph face would like they would zoom in on his photograph face and like right, they had right. all this like uh uh, how you remind me and like they even have some good like metal I, I think feed the machine is like genuinely a good metal track creed is just like borderline isn't it just christian rock well kinda i mean i gotta say i was in high school when both of these bands kind of came to be and i really liked creed when i was younger like the first three records i think weathered i think was the last one that i liked like i was always kind of conv- like scott stapp that's his name i think right is <laughs> yeah, a is yeah. a is a dipshit he actually there's actually a famous story about how 311 my favorite band and scott stapp got into a fist fight in a bar and you guys can go go read about it the, the rapper in 311 broke his hand on scott stapp's face this was written in like variety and hollywood reporter like years ago it's hysterical <laughs> but uh i like creed at least those i don't know anything about so creed turned into a band called alter bridge which some people might know with a different singer then I think they went back to Creed and then I think they went back to Alter Bridge. So the band itself stays together with just different singers. But I like Creed like that song. What if I think that song's awesome. I love that song. I've never and heard one it. And, and all that. I don't know. I like him. But the other the other thing I wanted to say is Nickelback. Anything I've heard from Nickelback. I'm like, this is fine. Like uh, how you remind me. I love that song. It's a good song. Hey, it's a, that's a great song. It's a good, I, I, it's a good I, song. They're not a good band, but like, yeah. you know, like and they're annoying. But mm. like it's you know they 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 at least put songs out that I you know this is this isn't the worst thing and also that guy the lead singer like has a, has like a pretty unique voice even if it is kind of also like one of these like annoying things like he did that song with Can- uh, Santana 
like yeah. in, in like the late 2000s that was actually like uh, uh, actually good <laughs> like pretty fucking pretty solid Santana song and like I don't know like I, just, I think Nickelback Nickelback gets more hate as uh, just because it's like kind of cool to hate him because yeah, I, I don't think I they're agree. really as bad as, as the meme would suggest like they're nowhere near as bad as like Imagine Dragons yeah I know how you feel about them yeah D- I agree Imagine Dragons is by far like the worst band that I think I've ever I think the world has ever given life to. Wow. Like sincerely. That's intense. That's intense. It is. And I mean it. Well, I'm I'm glad I want to I want to hear what you mean. And I feel like with yeah, so I agree with you Nickelback is more hated. I think it's just cuz Creed kind of waned. It was popular when I was younger when you were younger to make fun of Creed too, but I'm with you. I think both of these bands, well, I'm not maybe with you 100%, but I think both of these bands are fine. And I think that there are yeah. way worse bands. Listen, if I wrote a song like How You Remind Me, I'd have the biggest swinging dick in the world because that song is awesome and <laughs> made them a lot of money. Now, I never wrote anything like that, you know, so. Yeah, no. So I always try to keep that in mind. And Creed obviously had their hits as well. But I, I think Creed has the Limp Bizkit problem because and I loved Limp Bizkit when I was a kid, too, not surprisingly, because I love rap rock, but it's. Like you want to like the band, but you don't like the lead singer very much. And I yeah, feel like yeah. that is kind of their problem, which is why when they went to Alter Bridge, they were just much more likable because he was gone and it was just the, the, them. The arms the- wide open. <laughs> <laughs> That's that that Creed style of singing is hilarious. Yeah, he, it's it's not good, you know, but the <laughs> the uh, but the guitarist for um, Creed, who is uh, Scott, what's his name? No, that Scott Phillips is the drummer. Uh, Mark Tremonti. Is like a fucking really great yeah, singer songwriter, dude. So Th- that sound works for them. It's kind of like how uh, if you put um, Angus Young's voice on any other instrumental other than like an ACDC track, it would just sound like complete garbage. That's exactly right. And I'm looking now. Alter Bridge is still together. The other band and it's the same lineup from Str- Creed and Creed is not together anymore. They basically had a some sort of tour, I guess, in the mid aughts. But then they're they're gone now. So anyway. Uh, interesting question, Dick Whiskey. Thank you for submitting it. Never made it as a wise man. <laughs> All right. Let's see here. Oh, one thing I wanted to say, I forgot to say this at the top before we get into what we're playing. Next week's episode will be the first PS5 centric episode, really, because we'll have our hands on the console at that time. I would expect that we will re- we will record and publish that a little late. I don't know exactly what the schedule is going to be yet. I want to give us time to fuck around with it and have useful things to say about it. It'll go live on free feeds on time because I just don't want to mess everything up. But if you're a patron, we appreciate your patience uh, for the next episode. It'll probably be, I would say 12 to 24 hours later than it usually is. Yeah. Just wanted to throw that out there. Chris, what are we playing? It says here, you're still playing ghost of Tsushima legends. Do you have anything more to say about it? Yeah. So I, I dove into it a little bit more. I played with some friends, some roommates, and I got to say, I'm pretty I'm pretty impressed. I, I'm I'm genuinely impressed by how rewarding and fun the gameplay loop is in this. Uh, it doesn't feel as tacked on as I expected it to feel. It feels very similar to me to um, the Mass Effect 3 multiplayer mode in, in a way because it's like, you know, this kind of wave defense kind of horde mode-esque kind of thing. But it really does feel like you can coordinate and build like a really cohesive unit um, it's fun to traverse around. It's it's a little bit more video gamey because it's you know it's it's like demons and there's like floating like platforms that you can like grapple onto so you can like swing around like Spider Man a little bit more uh, realistically than you could if you know there weren't any trees. It's it's a solid 
experience that I think could go a long way. I, I, I think this is kind of exactly what PlayStation needed. Because right now, like as I'm thinking about all the other games that I, I want to play, multiplayer-centric-wise, I think Destiny and more and, and lately, it really is kind of getting to that point where I'm like, you know, I think I want to jump onto Ghost of Tsushima. And I, I never thought that I... I never thought that that would be a thing when Ghost of Tsushima came out. Because it seemed very standard. It seemed like, okay, so here's a new open world single player thing. And they throw this really well thought out and really really well tuned and well designed multiplayer mode out for free. It's really good. It's it's not a cash grab. It's not thrown together. It's got a narrative to it. It's freaking really solid. Well, I'm I'm hearing not only from you, but from others, just really incredibly positive stuff about this and really a lot of mysticism around why this wasn't released as a standalone in some way. And I, I guess I really respect that they didn't do that. I mean, that's awesome, but it's surprising. I mean, it's not surprising. Sucker Punch is great, but they're putting a lot of value into their game. I feel like Sony is doing a really interesting thing with their games, their first party games and some of their second party games where they're just supporting it very predictably and sometimes unpredictably in such a way that it allows people to kind of keep their games and come back to them. And I'm sure kind of allures people too to the cheaper game when it becomes 40, 30, 20 dollars. And then you have this extra stuff your friends are playing. I think it's a very wise approach for Sony to take. Yeah. And I, I'm a little surprised that they didn't talk this up more. I, I wonder if it's one of those things this happens where they didn't know what they had. Oh yeah, I'm I'm I bet they didn't. I like I'm I'm sure they probably I'm sure they probably saw it as like, you know, a Mass Effect 3 kind of, you know, tacked on multiplayer. And and I I guess in some ways it is because like, you know, multiplayer in a single player game like this is kind of always going to feel tacked on because it's like it's just inherently not what the game is, but it does a really good job of just feeling like its own thing. It does a really good job of you know, even though you're like playing in the same play spaces kind of over and over again, it, it does a good job of making you feel like challenged in like a really authentic way. I, I, I really enjoy it. I, I wish I could play more of it, but my my PlayStation 4 is acting like I, I, I don't know what the hell is going on. I feel like somebody at Sony like pressed like a make Chris's PlayStation stupid button or something because <laughs> nothing's working right. Like I, I told you last week, right? That like uh, I was having no audio or something. Did I tell yeah, you that? Yeah, 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 you did tell me that. Yeah. Now I have audio, but no picture. So <laughs> yeah, that's that's not going to work. Yeah, that's, that's obviously uh, not arguably work. a little bit worse. I will say, I, I will say, it's interesting you're saying that just because my PS4 seems to really be on the slow death march now. Yeah. As well, maybe I shouldn't say death march because that indicates like you know the baton death march or something like that, but. It seems like it's going to it seems like it's on its last legs and it couldn't be the timing couldn't be any better, uh, I suppose. Yeah. So I'm, I'm pretty eager to get this PS5 at the very least, just so I can, you know, continue to use a working PlayStation. Right. We'll make sure to send everything into the cloud in case it, you know, it crashes. And I'll, I'll be interested. I'm going to try to transfer everything over through wi-fi or i guess you could just do it through um, you could do it through, cable. A, through a land cable because that's that's what yeah. i did when i transferred my uh original ps4 to the pro yeah so i'm looking forward to doing that although and we'll talk later although i think space is going to be pretty limited on this thing so i don't know exactly how i want to work this out but we'll talk a little bit about that yeah. later yes yeah, so later enjoying 
I'm yeah. sorry, go ahead. No, no, I was, I was going to say storage is definitely the hidden cost of next gen. Like, I think a lot of, I think the hardware, the hard drives for both of these consoles are like pretty small to keep prices down because if they were like a respectable size, they would be insanely expensive. I'm just, I'm fascinated by this, by Legends stickiness. Yeah. Um, I think it, I think it genuinely has staying power. I think it's sincerely good. I wonder if, um, I just wonder if they'll be like, uh, some sort of shift at Sucker Punch where they're like, maybe we should be mo- focusing Ghost of Tsushima 2 more on this, 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 you know, like at least having these multiplayer co-op options, like to be able to play the game with someone else all the way through or whatever. I, I wonder, because uh, this is something that's new for them. I mean, thinking back to like they've messed around with user generated content in games like Infamous uh, 2, mm-hmm. but this is the first time that they ever really did a multiplayer thing. As far as I remember, maybe there's some like co-op ish shit, I think, in Sly Cooper, but this is really their first foray. So they're doing a great job over there. And I'll be interested to see how this all develops. Although I'd rather have single player DLC, but I guess we're not going to get that. Yeah. All right. Uh, I am playing, believe it or not, Final Fantasy VII Remake, which I have gone back to since for the first time. I think the game came out in April, as I recall. And I played it a little bit. I played it to chapter five and then I stopped playing it. I got distracted. So I deleted my saves and I just started the game over again. I'm in chapter three right now. And uh, I was talking to... Uh, to Micah, my girlfriend, that I feel like this game has such powerful nostalgic hooks tip for me that I can't escape it. Even though I I already experienced a lot of this stuff already, I already played the game to chapter five. It's just like, wow, like seeing these characters again, seeing these places, Midgar and the plates and the sounds and the music and the menu sounds and the materia and the weapons. And it's really good. And I'm excited to get through it all the way. And it, it kind of gets into this question that we have from uh, Daniel Wiseman, kind of, because Daniel Wiseman says, hey, CNC, hopefully the election is over and we are one week away from next gen. We are. My question to you is both on the other side of what was asked last week about the game on PS4. You will play the last one. So Final Fantasy seven for me will be the last PS4 game I probably play on that console. But he says, what will be the first game you play on PS5? Thanks and have a wonderful day. So, Chris, when you get that PS5 next week, what are you going to put into it oh. or download onto it? Oh, definitely Spider-Man, right? Yeah. Yeah, me too. That's like yeah. the obvious answer. It's yeah. like, I'm not going to, I think I like, I, part of me is more interested. Well, well, actually, no, maybe actually probably that Astro's playroom thing. Well, right. When we're downloading the games, we'll have to wait. Yeah. Yeah. For, so so yeah. the first real game is definitely Spider-Man, but I'm actually like eager to jump into, uh, that Astro's Playroom thing, because everything that I'm hearing about it is from all of my friends who have access to this machine or like uh, have access to the DualSense right now, they're saying that it really, it really is a transformative kind of experience as far as like what your opinion is on the DualSense. Because my opinion of the DualSense before a lot of these impressions came out was, you know, like oh haptic feedback triggers whatever. This is kind of like probably a gimmick. It's probably not going to be all that interesting. But everybody that Everybody that I trust is saying that it's sincere, like actually mind-boggling how how good the dual sense is, which is nice because I'm like super skeptical. I'm still super skeptical, st- honestly, but I'm I'm looking forward to you know possibly getting my mind changed on that because it seems seems like they might have something special with this controller. We're getting a lot of good feedback about that. We're going to talk a little bit about that later. Yeah, because um, people are getting it you know, their, their early accessories or whatever. I'm excited to see what it can do 
Uh, but yeah, I think Miles Morales is the obvious answer. Once we play through Playroom, I, I'm a little concerned again about the PlayStation Store's download speeds that night, that yeah. morning, that day. And I didn't get the game physically. I don't know if I can still do that, but I'm not super worried about it because if worse comes to worse, I mean, I, I just have to just exercise a little patience. I'm trying to do that in my life, right? Just be patient. What's the big deal? <laughs> yeah. You know, you got you to gotta wait a little bit longer to play your video game. It's like, who gives a shit? You know, so I'm trying to keep that in mind. But we have another question, just kind of a procedural question before we get into the news from Turbocharge Nerd. He says, inside baseball question, Colin, since you don't work with PR, do you consider game purchases a tax write off? Do you purchase the game for Chris as a job benefit or is Chris paying for games with his money that presumably comes from what you pay him? Or either of you going to write off the PS5 because of how much you will use it for work? This reminds me a lot of that Seinfeld episode, Chris, where (laughs) they write it off. Yeah, it's like you don't even know what writing it off means. Do you? (laughs) No. (laughs) So. Uh, just to answer his question, Collins Last Stand is a corporation. It's a business. So it's not a bit. Games are not write offs for me. Games are expenses and they're reasonable expenses. I need them to do my job. So I pay myself out of my company and my company then pays for other things that I need to do that work. If I were an independent contractor or I worked for someone, it would be different. That would be a write off. Mm-hmm. My things are business expenses, just straight up business expenses. The result is the same. Basically, if you own a business and spend that money, you don't pay taxes on that money. Um, If you write something off, you're basically removing the cost of that from your total taxable income. So it's the same difference. But Chris would be technically be able to write his console as an independent contractor who I pay and he buys his own games and stuff. Chris would be able to write those games off, which and what that means is that Chris could could when he's doing his taxes, say, I bought a $500 console. I need to do my job. And therefore, my t- let's say Chris is make Chris makes $50,000. It's just an example. Right. Mm-hmm. And Chris is like, but I want to I bought a PS5 for $500. So his taxable income becomes $49,500 because he needed that for for his work. So it doesn't mean that he gets the money back for the console. What it means is that he gets the tax money back right. on that console. And that is a write off. And I feel like a lot of people don't know what that is. So I think I just taught you guys a few things. Yeah, hopefully. it's actually kind of interesting how because uh, I remember like because I've known what a write off is for a long time. So like I remember getting to that episode of Seinfeld and actually being sincerely confused. You know, like how old are these guys? They don't know what a write off is. Right. Yeah. yeah. You just write it off. So they're the ones writing it off. <laughs> it's so good. But yeah, so it's not technically a write off for me. It's a business expense for Chris. It is a write off. Yeah. And so I wanted to. um to just you know, teach you guys a thing or, or two. Because I know a lot of you out there, you're afraid. It's like you're in class. You're afraid to raise your hand. Turbocharge nerd just asked a question a lot of you had. <laughs> so you should thank him. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, Whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now, all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app. Answer a few questions and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project 
in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts. All right, Chris, let's get into the news. All right. There's a, a few things of interest this week. I think we're kind of just cleaning the table, as it were. Yeah. And putting everything out, the silverware and everything, getting ready for the PlayStation 5. So let's get into some of this news here, starting with number one. It appears that Gran Turismo 7, the PlayStation 5 exclusive simulation racer from Sony-owned Polyphony Digital, may be coming to the console relatively soon. According to respected Gran Turismo fan site GTPlanet.com, those guys have been around forever. A French language ad for the game says, quote, release planned for the first half of 2021, end quote. This isn't a massive surprise considering Gran Turismo 7 was once rumored as a launch game or even a launch window game. It kind of has that Drive Club vibe. Mm-hmm. The latter may end up, although I don't want to say that because Drive Club is fucked. <laughs> hey, yeah, not, it doesn't have the doom and gloom of Drive Club. Right. The latter may end up being true, though we currently have nothing else to work off of. Gran Turismo 7 was revealed for PS5 back in June and will be the first new Gran Turismo game since 2017. When Gran Turismo Sport came to PS4, the last numbered Gran Turismo game was Gran Turismo 6, a very late gen PS3 exclusive that launched in late 2013. Gran Turismo has always been under the stewardship of Japanese team Polyphony Digital, which was founded in the early 90s and which was incubated internally at Sony as opposed to being purchased from the outside. This is all they make other than a couple of other games. They did Omega Boost, uh, Taurus Trophy and stuff. So this is a big game for the audience, but unfortunately, it's really not a big game for me or Chris. So I don't know that we have much to say about it, but I know people are excited about it. And I think it's really important to have a racer on your console early. This was something that Sony kind of pioneered with Gran Turismo on PS1 and PS2. People will remember that A-Spec on PS2 was a massive game for that console. Not super early on, but relatively early on. So I think Gran Turismo 7 is going to be a really important game because we haven't really seen a a mainline GT game in a while. It's been kind of quiet. Gran Turismo Sport does have a massive audience, but I think GT7 can be even better. And I think, as we said in the past, Chris, that for some reason, it's not some reason because these are really optical games. Racing games just showcase new hardware. Oh, yeah. So you want to have you want to have a first party game ready to go from that genre. And I think they're going to in the next six months or so. Do you have anything to say about GT7? No, I mean, I think it's smart. I I think it's also, you know, on paper, like when I was when I was thinking about it, it's like, oh, early 2021. So that's like we have Spider-Man now. We have uh, also Demon Souls like relatively soon. Um, and then we're going to have presumably Ratchet and Gran Turismo early in early 2021. Like uh, on paper, it almost looks too crowded, but because because of the nature of like racing games and like the appeal that they have to people who like might not even be remotely interested in spy- in a game like Spider Man or Ratchet or even God of War, I feel like it. If I feel like it makes a ton of sense to just sort of put it out at that time i feel like it's not really you're not really at risk of crowding your exclusive space with a with a racing game i I think and i I think you're right it's good to get it out early definitely as early as you can without rushing it 
Right, right. And I think that GT, I, I think a lot of people when PS4 came out were a little confused by GT6 because I felt like GT6 sold pretty well. I think it sold like six or seven million copies on PS3 and it came out after PS4 had already launched. And I think a lot of people were confused about why wasn't this aimed at PS4? Where was the planning put into this? And so they got GT Sport out, you know, mid-generation. And I think that they're kind of back on track. Pardon the pun. Although Gran Turismo games don't come out at a clip like they used to anymore. But it's just because games are harder to make now. We used to get a GT game like every 18 months or so back in the day. It's just those those days are gone. And even Microsoft can't do that with Forza. They need two studios to get annual or biannual releases out. So it's it's hard to do a lot of licensing work, a lot of fine tuning. Again, pardon the pun. But I'm excited about this for others because I think this will be a really meaningful game for the console. And it's a, an exclusive, even though Chris and I aren't racing fans, we cannot forget about. So keep writing in about it and reminding us about it. We'll keep talking about it. And like Chris said, with with that and Ratchet in, let's say, Q1 and Q2, that's pretty good because yeah. Demon Souls and Spider-Man will be out at launch. And of course, the Sackboy game. And then we'll get into this. And then, of course, they're claiming Horizon 2 for the end of the year, which I think is probably going to happen. And God of War, I don't think will happen next year, but it's it's shaping up. This looks better than PS4's early days, I think. Yeah, and, certainly. Uh, I don't think that's a huge problem because PS4, its early days didn't really matter. It wasn't really held back from its lack of quality AAA games, which it's not going to have now. And I was talking to Dustin when he was here because he's so excited about Demon Souls from Bluepoint. And I kind of woke up to it kind of late where I was just like, you know what? This game might be huge for the console. Bloodborne was huge. Yeah. So... I think maybe I'm underestimating this launch library, but we'll save it for PlayStation Plus or Sacred Symbols Plus when we do that later in the week. Mm -hmm. All right. So that's GT7. Number two. It's an interesting one. Believe it or not, a League of Legends game is coming to both PlayStation 4 and PlayStation 5, and it's coming a lot sooner than you might have anticipated. Riot Games, the California based team behind the ever popular MOBA League of Legends on PC, has finally given us more information about one of its incubating console projects. This one is called Ruin King, a League of Legends story a turn-based RPG, and when it comes out in early 2021, it will mark the first time ever PlayStation or any console has had League of Legends content, and it's also the first time a studio from outside of Riot's orbit is making a League of Legends game, too. The Texas-based studio Airship Syndicate, best known for its THQ Nordic-published action RPG 2019's Darksiders Genesis, is behind the title. Riot Games' League of Legends first launched in 2009 and has been a smash hit, however, Riot has recently delved into new projects to keep the world alive in the ever more competitive marketplace and still has both a fighting game and an action RPG in the works, both likely from within the League of Legends universe as well. I find this really great and a great idea. I just don't understand why Riot waited so long to do something like this. It yeah. seems like I'm not in the League of Legends world. I'm not saying anything. I know that they, they fill arenas and and have a really robust ecosystem but i was always i was always mystified by riot's insistence on relying on this one game and you think that they would have started to try to buff out this world a little bit more on console like let's say eight years ago so i i'm, I'm wondering why it's taken so long but i gotta say i'm a little interested in this because i think this could have a symbiotic relationship with league of legends which is i think what riot wants and then it gets people like me involved in whatever world and story they're telling, of which I am totally ignorant of. Because when you say a strategy role playing game, turn based role playing game, this is what this is that appeals to someone like me. So, right. Are you interested in this at all? 
Uh, I don't know. Like, I, I, I played a little bit of League in, like, early college days. But, like, I, I don't know. Like, I, I think... I think... Uh, what was that FPS that they were making? Oh, my God. I totally forgot what the name of it was. But that was that was a little bit more appealing to me than... Uh, then I don't know, like a turn-based RPG, like that's already kind of like not necessarily in my in my field unless it's something like OG Final Fantasy VII or, or like Child of Light or something. It's I'm very very loose with that genre, so this might not necessarily be exactly the thing that's going to pull me into this. Um, but I am like vaguely familiar with the world already, or at least I probably could be if I like brushed up a little bit. But it, I'm I'm with you in the sense that like I, I really don't know why it took them this long to even remotely do something like this. They really could have done this. They really should have done this in like 2014, 2015. They probably could have got a, a pretty good leg up on Overwatch if they did that, but uh, but they didn't. So I yeah, I'm cu- I'm curious what their health is. I'm sure they're fine. They and they employ like a couple thousand people, I think. But yeah, the game you're thinking of is Valorant. Valorant, right? Which is uh, only on PC. It's an FPS, and of course they made the they made another MOBA, but it was only on Android, I think, and iOS, which was Wild Rift. But if you look at the games they made, they made League of Legends, which first came out in 2009, and then they did nothing until 2019. That's when they released some other stuff in 2020, obviously, with Valorant Legends of Runeterra, which is a card game. So they're they're picking it up, but it's just so weird that it took them so long. And I actually remember asking my friends at Riot this very question, like, what are you doing? Don't you want to, like, diversify? It seems like what the answer is, is that, no, they don't necessarily want to diversify. They want to support the, the world that they've created, which I think is smart. And it's important. I mentioned this because they have a fighting game that's called Project L and an action RPG called Project F also incubating. We don't know where they're going to come, but I assume they're going to come to console. So they're trying to segue. And I don't I, I played League of Legends one time. Um, it was a joke. Actually, we did a video about it. I kind of funny. And I'm always a little mystified. Like, why isn't this on console? Like, get some mouse and keyboard control and move it to the consoles. Like what? That would be a priority to me. I, yeah. I just don't understand what they're doing, but, you know, who am I? I'm not them. <laughs> All right. Number three. The third game in Supermassive's so-called Dark Pictures anthology of horror games has been revealed. It's called House of Ashes, and it's slated to launch on unknown platforms in 2021. It's almost certainly it's almost certainly going to be a PS4 game, though it's unclear if it will natively appear on PS5 as well. The reveal of the game happened quietly and cleverly. It was tucked at the end of the second Dark Pictures anthology game, Little Hope, which just came to PS4 in the last week or so. As website Gamatsu notes, this is how Supermassive and its publisher Bandai Namco revealed Little Hope as well, by including a trailer at the end of their first Dark Pictures title, Man of Madan. Supermassive Games is a British team founded in 2008, and its early work was almost entirely with Sony, primarily on Little Big Planet related DLC. In 2012, the team ported Gorilla's PS2 exclusive shooter Killzone to PS3, and in 2015, it finally launched its long-in-development horror game Until Dawn exclusively on PS4, where it met critical success. More work with Sony followed, though Bandai Namco scooped into Occupy, into Occupy much of the team's output since Until Dawn. Man of Badan, the first Dark Pictures game, came out in 2019. Uh, Armando Estevez wrote into us on Patreon. He says, hey, CNC. So with the mixed sales and critical reception of both entries of the Dark Pictures anthology, a question has come to mind. Was Until Dawn a fluke hit? Ever since its release, Supermassive has struggled with finding another success with, su- success with Rush of Blood, Hidden Agenda, and now the aforementioned Dark Picture Anthology all underperforming. So I have to ask, is Supermassive just not as talented of a studio as everyone once thought, or or was Until Dawn just the right game at the right time? 
I remember around that time, everyone thought Sony should have acquired Supermassive, but now I am not so sure. What do you think? How do you think Supermassive's doing recently with their their horror projects? Yeah, that's a good question. I I, I don't know. Like I, I've seen, I haven't played much of uh, Man of Madonna. I played a little bit of it, and from what I saw, like it seemed exactly in keeping with everything that Until Dawn was doing. Fine. I I wasn't really all that into Until Dawn either for like very similar reasons that I wasn't really all that into Man of Madonna. So I actually I don't see anything uh, formula wise that is all that different. I I, I think maybe. Maybe it was the right game at the right time, or or maybe this anthology idea is a bit more ambitious than they can really meet as a task. I, I feel like it would have been a much safer bet to just make something kind of big and focused as opposed to making a lot of small things, because I feel like inherently like that kind of drives away people like I feel like you and me who just like really aren't into this like episodic kind of trickle down of, of story content. I feel like we just want to, we want to play a game and be able to finish it and just have it be it and have it feel like, you know, a worthy use of our time as opposed to having these like smaller stories that don't even really give you that much time, you know, to invest in. Uh, I, I do feel like until Dawn was so out of nowhere and so weird that maybe that was kind of like an an advantage to it, the fact that like there really wasn't much like it at the time. But yeah, I don't know. Maybe I don't want to say they're a one trick pony necessarily because I you know I was never really that into these games in the first place. But there's definitely something off. Yeah, I'm interested in how this game was pitched or this series was pitched because I think Until Dawn's a pretty great game. And what's interesting about Until Dawn, and I've told people this, and we've talked about this I think on this show, but I played Until Dawn on PS3 a long time ago. Until Dawn was being incubated by Supermassive as a PlayStation Move game. And I played it at Comic-Con, I want to say, in New York in 2011 or 2012 on PS3. So this was a game that at some point, either they or more likely their publisher and Sony as a second party saw something and were, and were like, we should double down and make this game better. And they did that. That's when they got Hayden Panettieran. And um, it's actually amazing to think about it. What's the fucking uh, let me look up. I keep forgetting his uh, name, but let me see here until dawn plot. Oh, yeah. Rami Malek's in it, who is, I think, an Emmy and Academy Award winner now. Yeah, yeah. He was he was like Mr. Robot and Freddie Mercury. Right. Right. Exactly. So it's kind of amazing that they got him in the game because he's like a big deal. And uh, I, I doubt they'll get him back, but. They they went back to the drawing board and I think came up with something very compelling, a, a horror game set in Canada, which I loved. They're very mild about that, but it, I think it's in Alberta or Saskatchewan. And uh, it's the characters are cool. It was really absorbable and I really loved it. And I think that it was really smart for Bandai Namco to go like, let's let's work together. And I'm wondering, I think they're planning eight of these. So the one that just came out is the second and the one that was just announced, therefore, is the third. I like what they're doing in the main. Like, I like the idea of being like, we're going to make budget style, 30 and $40 horror games that come out every year around Halloween. Mm -hmm. And we're going to do that for eight years. I just don't know what the end goal is. And I wonder if they'll get the plug pulled before then. But commercially, I think Man of Madan did pretty well. And I think Little Hope is going to do pretty well, too. 
And there seems to be, at least according to critical reception, cumulative critical reception, that Little Hope is much better than Man of Medan. So it seems like they're moving in the right direction. But I really like to sit down and play some of these games at some point. I did buy Man of Medan when it came out just to show them support. Mm-hmm. I might do the same thing with Little Hope just to, to kind of show them support as well. But I don't know when I'll get around to it. But um, in terms of the question asked by... Uh, Armando, I don't think that they're overrated. I think Sony would still be wise to get in a bed with them. I just don't think it's going to be necessarily possible without understanding that they have a deal that's going to keep them attached to Bandai until 2026 or so, which is kind of injures your ability to do anything with them as a first party. So they might just be out of the mix, but um, I think they're very talented. And he brought up Hidden Agenda and Russia Blood. Hidden Agenda is a PSVR game, I think. Russia Blood is also a PSVR game. Or Hidden Agenda is, I think, actually maybe one of those live action games or whatever. But those are Sony funded. So even if they didn't sell well, it doesn't matter. They're just going to move on. That's why they still exist. So you know, we'll we'll keep an eye on them for sure. Yeah. Armando. But don't worry about Supermassive. Sony doesn't necessarily need them. But I thought that they were a compelling solution to the degradation of the Sony relationship with Quantic Dream which we saw disintegrate. So uh, we'll see what happens. I'm actually very interested to see what Quantic does next as well and who they work with. I think they'll probably publish their own games. Oh, yeah, definitely. But we'll see what happens. Number four, publisher slash developer Ubisoft has announced a few key delays in regards to its future slate of games, particularly when it comes to one game of note, Far Cry 6. In its quarterly earnings report, as relayed by website Kotaku, Ubisoft published both I'm sorry, Ubisoft pushed both Far Cry 6 as well as Rainbow Six Quarantine beyond its fiscal year, which ends on March 31st. Thus, you won't see either of these games until April of 2021 or later. This isn't necessarily a surprise for Rainbow Six Quarantine, which has been an, which was announced, but which still remains largely unknown as opposed to Far Cry 6, which actually had a previous release date on both PS4 and PS5 of February 18th, 2021. That is no longer the date. While those games fit within the 2021-2022 fiscal year, one game has been pushed even further. The mysterious new Avatar game, as reported by website GameSpot, Massive Entertainment, the Ubisoft-owned team behind The Division, is working on the game, which will come out no earlier than April of 2022, which makes sense, since the movie Avatar 2, which the game will be based around, won't be coming to theaters until December of 2022. Far Cry 6, announced more recently, promises to continue the franchise's open-world shooter streak, while Rainbow Six Quarantine announced that E3 2019 is a co-op shooter. So a few delays out of Ubisoft. I'm a little disappointed for Far Cry 6 delay because I was really looking at that as my February game, but it's no longer there. Uh, any any notes about these delays? Not a huge surprise. COVID's fucking everything up. But. Yeah, I, I expect a lot of things to be delayed. Um, I honestly don't even know why people are like, it, it's why it kind of like weirded me out that uh, Santa Monica was like, yeah, God of War is definitely coming this uh, in 2021. It's like, really? Are you Are you sure you want to do that? Yeah, uh, like why? It seems yeah. clear you're just not going to hit that. But yeah, I think the, the the strangest thing out of this news piece is the fact that there's an Avatar game because I was I totally forgot that there were Avatar movies being made. I don't know who asked for these, but I guess we'll get them. Yeah, we're going to we're going to get them. God, uh, man. So I'm interested to see quarantine and if that can like drive because Rainbow Six. I mean, Siege is obviously huge. It's a little different, though. You know, we haven't had a rainbow, a more traditional Rainbow Six game since what Vegas or something like that. So it'll be interesting to see. And that's like that was like over 10 years ago, I think. Now. Yeah, it was a so, long time ago. So I, I could be wrong about that. I was a huge Rainbow Six Three fan, actually, on the original Xbox. I loved that game. 
mostly because I had a T1 connection in my college dorm room. So it was like awesome. But <laughs> I think it's I think it's fascinating that Rainbow Six Quarantine was announced before the quarantine. Yeah, that is interesting. So they're like, so it's just like, oh, geez. Well. Oops. This also kind of puts a a little bit of a a a, da- a downer on um any possibility of us getting this this um Splinter Cell game that we're hoping for you. Seems like they can't get the games that are already on their slate. So even if that game's incubating, I assume it'll be pushed further back. <sighs> yep. Yeah. I expect nothing. I expect nothing less. All right. Let's see here. Number five. There are a couple of interesting pieces of news about some of the industry's biggest, most played and perhaps most controversial persistent multiplayer and battle royale style games. For starters, while we knew that Epic Games' massively popular battle royale Fortnite would be coming to PlayStation 5 natively, meaning you don't have to play the PS4 version and backwards compatibility, we know that the game will run on PS5 at 60 frames and 4K resolution with special enhancements for both DualSense and PS5's SSD. Fortnite is still slated for launch on PS5 on November 12th. EA's popular Titanfall spinoff Apex Legends has also received a new update as its seventh season begins with a new map and more. And in battled Bioware developed game Anthem is still undergoing its 2.0 update in earnest with the developer recently revealing in a blog post some of the updates planned for the beleaguered title, including new javelin builds and customization, stat modifying artifacts, and perhaps most importantly, massive new skill trees to explore. So EA and Bioware are still doubling down on Anthem. I read the I read the the blog post my my question is like does anyone care about this i don't know i don't know i don't know the answer to that i really don't think so it's it's amazing because like i saw i saw there's a screenshot of that of that uh development update from anthem on on bioware's website that shows like the character creation screen or like or like at least like the the uh loadout equipment screen where like your character's in the middle and like you know there are boxes with guns with varying colors on the side and there's like a a bar up top that lets you switch between tabs, and I was like, I, I swear to God, I was looking at Destiny. Like I thought, I I thought for sure that I was looking at like, oh, that's weird. They just included a picture of Destiny in this Anthem th- uh, blog update, and I was like, wait, it's just straight up. It's just straight up. It, it, it's amazing. I saw like this like meme of like Peter Parker putting on his glasses, and it's like all blurry, and then he puts. He puts it on and it's like Anthem and he takes it off and it's Destiny. And it's 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 the same, dude. It's it's wild. Uh, I don't know what the purpose is of making this thing. If you're just going to make it exactly like the better thing. I, I This whole thing seems so misguided. Like, I understand, like, you, you've you've had a lot of people who bought into this and, you know, theoretically there's a lot of copies of anthems just sitting in people's libraries because a lot of people probably downloaded it and haven't like didn't buy it on disc and really can't sell it so they just have it in their back their backlogs or whatever and you kind of want to get those people back in but i i really don't understand what anthem's goal is in competing in this in this arena where even great games like i think the division two is sincere like genuinely a great game like i think it's a great like the combat loop is great the level design is great it looks really good it's satisfying to play even that game i feel like is is struggling you know because i just think destiny came out so early and is now just the template for this for this genre that i really don't see anybody other than destiny itself when it maybe stops dethroning it like i don't know what piece of the pie anthem is going after especially after so long 
of just a complete shutdown of that game. Like I, it's stuff like this that makes me feel like, yeah, I could run a, a studio. You know what I mean? Even though I know like logistically, I probably couldn't, I probably don't have any of the skill sets necessary. But when I see stuff like this, I'm like, I could have told you a long time ago that this was a bad idea. I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm too pessimistic, but like, wow. Yeah. It's uh, it's just too competitive. This is the problem that we talked about ad nauseum on the show, which is that you can't flood this zone and expect that everyone is going to stick around. There's going to be winners and there's going to be massive losers. And I think Anthem is just a loser. I mean, it's I don't know offense to them. I'm sure some people enjoy the game, but there's just no bandwidth for these kinds of games. It's why I think it was smart, for instance, that Housemark abandoned that game, whatever it was, Stormbringers, whatever the hell they were doing. It was like yeah, or Storm yeah. Divers or whatever. It's like, what are you doing? You can't stop. You know, everyone's got to stop. You can't occupy the space. You're going to kill each other. And maybe that's just survival of the fittest at that point, which is fine. But I think it's a problem. And uh, I love this idea of them becoming more destiny. Like, of course, that's going to happen because to your point, destiny is successful. It's what we saw with Fortnite, right? We were making fun of that G.I. Joe game that just came out. That's just budget Fortnite. It's like, yeah. it, but it's like if you, we already have a Fortnite, you know, we already right. have a George. So uh, I don't know. We'll keep an eye on it, but I will be real. I'm really interested in this Anthem 2.0 now just to see if they actually can get it out. And if they do what it looks like, what yeah. it is, I'm definitely going to be curious enough to possibly like whenever they launch this thing, like maybe redownload it. If it's can you imagine it's not back- backwards compatible, they make you buy it again. Jesus. Yeah, it would be it would be unbelievable. Yeah, would no, be believable, that would be wild. But like if they I don't know, I'd be curious enough to check it out just to see like how much is aped from Destiny. I know a lot of uh, Destiny's formula is aped in the Avengers game as well, like even down to like how the towers set up and all the menu systems. It's like all the same. So it makes it's not surprising to me that games like this are copying Destiny. It's just it is shocking how just blatant it is considering, you know, that expose that came out when, you know, it was revealed that like they, they weren't even allowed to talk about destiny when they were making this freaking game. Like even after they knew it was a looter shooter, like they were like, don't talk about it. And it's like, now it's just like straight up like, yeah, uh, yeah this is destiny again. <laughs> it's, it's just interesting how, uh, how things change. Yeah. I was going to say like, it's, if they were going to copy, they should have done it much quicker. Yeah. Now, it now it just seems stupid. So yeah, I don't know. We'll, we'll wish them luck. I mean, it's not unprecedented for a game to come back from the dead. We see that with No Man's Sky, which is like a darling now, which is really kind of strange when you think about it. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I mean, I've said this before, so I don't want to believe the point too much. But like, I, I do think it's because there is a special sauce in a lot of these other things that just doesn't exist with Anthem. I think I think going from, you know, a, a fully rendered planet into space in real time and like being able to land wherever the hell you want. That's really cool. That's an inherently cool idea. And it's something that I think people would want to succeed. But just like destiny, but you fly like. I, I, I don't know. I don't see it. We're going to find out. All right. Let's see. Number six. Annapurna Interactive is segueing from independent games publishing into independent game development, something it will do alongside its main focus on publishing. As revealed by entertainment trade publication The Hollywood Reporter, Annapurna's still unnamed studio is forming in Los Angeles and currently hiring for a multitude of positions. There's not much more to say about it other than that this is a logical move for an entity split off from movie company Annapurna Pictures, one that's always looking to expand. 
Its first published game was the once PlayStation exclusive game What Remains of Edith Finch, which it launched in 2017. And it continued to not only do ports on behalf of behalf of other companies like Sony, but but, but to publish more originals from outside devs, including 2018's Donut Country, 2019's Outer Wilds and Sayonara Wild Hearts and more. Such quiet corporate movements come alongside other minor moves in the industry, including publisher Curve Digital's acquisition of Iron Oaks Games, the team behind the PS4 RPG for the King, which came out in 2019, and the creation of Accelerate Games, founded by one of the old forces of the defunct publisher Acclaim, Greg Fishbach. So some old names kind of coming back into the uh, fold here. But Annapurna wisely moving into development. I think it's wise to start making your own games. That's where the money is truly made. Yeah. And um, so congratulations to them. They seem to have something pretty special going on over there. I forgot about I for, totally forgot about. Uh, yeah. Wow. They did do Outer Wilds. That's still a game that I have to check out because everybody's been screaming at me about it like for a long time. All right, Chris, let's get into number seven. Sony has confirmed what we already kind of knew, but hadn't necessarily put into words. PlayStation 5 games aren't natively supported on PlayStation VR. In other words, only VR enabled PS4 games will work on PS5, even if said game has a PS5 iteration. Word originally came by way of website Upload VR, which confirmed that IO Interactive's upcoming game Hitman 3, which will be on PS4 and PS5 and No Man's Sky, which is already on PS4 and which will be on PS5 will not be playable in PSVR if you are playing the PS5 iterations, but will work on PS5 via backwards compatibility, so long as you have the adapter we've been discussing over the last few weeks. In a curt statement to the website, Sony noted, quote, we have not announced PS5 titles for PSVR, end quote. This syncs with what PlayStation CEO Jim Ryan told the Washington Post, in which he said in part, quote, I think we're more than a few minutes from the future of VR, PlayStation believes in VR, Sony believes in VR, and we definitely believe at some point in the future, VR will will represent a meaningful component of interactive entertainment. Will it be this year? No. Will it be next year? No. But will it come at some stage? We believe that. End quote. Oliver Johnson wrote into us on Patreon and said, what's up, CNC? No Man's Sky and Hitman 3 have confirmed that PSVR will only be available for the PS4 versions of the game. This, along with the hardware requiring a PS4 camera and controller to make uh, to play, makes it clear that we have specifically a PS4 VR unit. PS5 VR is currently two plus years away, leaving VR stagnant until then. Do you think this will damage the relationship with VR owners? How long should they wait until they release VR 2? So this is a massive. I understand what they're saying, but it is massively confusing. Yeah, because you basically have to play the PS4 version in VR on PS5 if you want that experience. I get it. I don't know. It's it's just another one of these late game. We're going to dump this information kind of situation. And I don't think it really matters very much. It's just more. It's like the old political saying goes the adage, right, Chris? If you're explaining, you're losing. Yeah, and I think that that's uh, that's a, a bad thing. But what do you think about all this? I, I, I kind of agree with you. I think it's a bit convoluted. I so does this mean. Because I know on the Xbox side of things, like when whenever you download a game, it just side it's just sort of automatically downloads the version that you know is optimized for the machine that you're playing on. If you're like on Xbox One, Series S, or Series X, it like it, it takes that into account when it runs the game, and and it's whatever version uh, running on that particular piece of hardware. So does this mean that like whenever you buy like if you play a game or if you download a game that's on PS5 and PS4? Are there like two SKUs that says like parentheses PS4 parentheses PS5 to allow you to even make that choice? Like, uh, what if you just want to play Hitman 3, the PS5 version, because you just want the next gen and don't care about VR? Like, is that a different SKU? 
Or is that a different like download? Like, what is that? Yeah, I don't I I don't I don't know. I think that I think you're just going to have to download the PS4 version of the game, you know. But that's so weird. Like, how do you do that on a PlayStation 5? We don't know. I mean, I, well, I think that I think there's going to be a PS4. I don't, I'm sure people that have it already know how it works, but I don't know. You know, maybe maybe this, this seems like one of those things that maybe just sounds more confusing than it actually is. But yeah, I would I would think so. But you know? the way it sounds, it's like there's two versions of the game and they're like specific to the consoles that you play them on, but not. But not what you download. Uh, this is this is very weird. I guess it won't matter that much because like. Presumably anybody who cares a lot about VR already has these, you know, these adapters and all this kind of knowledge already and are kind of expecting this anyway. But like as somebody who's kind of like looking in from the outside and who isn't necessarily like in touch with PSVR, who isn't necessarily familiar with the setup or even how like installations work on, on that thing, I, I, it seems. Super convoluted. But it's also like a small percentage of people anyway that are really playing this stuff. Anyway, yeah, so I, I think that's the thing. It's, I don't think it really matters, but it is a little bit of a turn of fate for Sony and VR. We only know about PSVR 2 from a Wired article. No, I'm sorry. It's not a Wired article. I think it was a Nakai article or something like that that was saying that they plan on releasing another VR unit. But I don't think that they've acknowledged that themselves. And it makes you wonder what the story will be with PSVR 2. I think that they have to do it. I think that they they've put first of all, they're a profitable company. If you go into the in, into the granular nature of their finances, you might find that VR and R&D on that or whatever lost them money. But overall, PlayStation has a vertical within Sony and Sony overall is a highly profitable company. So now they can they can take risks and they were profitable when they were taking the risk with PSVR. So I think they have to continue. But I think it's what I've been saying about VR for many years. You got to go. And this is actually what Jim Ryan was saying, I think, in, in the Washington Post as well, which was it's got to go beyond games. Games are the proving ground for what VR is capable of. But what VR will really be able to do for people, it, we're not there yet. And once we get that, that that Black Mirror, San Junipero kind of thing going on, then I think people will be much more involved in in what the possibility is of alternate reality, virtual reality, augmented yeah. reality, whatever the case might be. So. That they're talking about it openly is nice because usually Sony just circumvents or ignores shit like this. But it is confusing to tell a person that's going to buy Hitman 3 in January or whatever. They have their PS5 queued up. They have their PSVR unit hooked in and it's like, you got to play the PS4 version. Sorry. You know, uh, you're not going to get the PS5 version on your VR unit. So it's going to matter more when the title, when it, when the um, when push comes to shove. But we'll see how important that is. I'd be curious how many of these things are even hooked up at this point. Yeah. All right. Number eight. Some new tidbits have likewise emerged concerning the PlayStation 5 itself, including the rather unfortunate reality that PlayStation 5 may not support 1440p resolution. Website Push Square relays a report from IGN Italy, which notes that the staff of the site talked directly to the Sony PR reps in their region, which confirmed the news. Push Square clarifies, however, that, quote, this is perhaps unsurprising after the PS4 Pro also skipped 1440p monitors, offering an upscale 1080p image instead, end quote. Push Square also relays word that PS5 comes packed with an HDMI 2.1 cable, perhaps not a huge surprise, but something that will be necessary if you want to play your games at, say, 120 frames per second, which is only possible with a small group of games so far. Website VGC also reports that DualSense PS5's controller works with PlayStation 3, which was never promised while functionality with PS4 seems currently limited, likely due to Sony not yet deploying a firmware update to allow its use. 
The company also revealed that PS5's SSD won't be upgradable at the time of launch, with Sony telling website The Verge that the SSD upgrade slot on PS5 will be disabled and, quote, is reserved for a future update, end quote. And there's some really bad news for those who want to try to get an unreserved PlayStation 5 at launch. In short, you won't. Sony revealed that all PS5s on November 12th or 19th, depending on where you are, will only be available online unless you have already secured an in-person pre-order. That means no camping out, no extra stock, nothing. Everything will be spoken for. It's a lot to get through there, Chris. Yeah. Uh, Let's start with the 1440 thing, which I think is the least important thing. Pablo Herrera wrote into us and said, hey, CNC, after hearing Chris's high praise of 1440p resolution with high frame rates over 4K30, I made the purchase of a nice 1440p 120 hertz monitor with HDR and FreeSync 2. Oh, damn, that's nice. Only to find out today from a Push Square article that the PS5 won't support 1440p natively, just like the PS4 Pro. What the fuck? Xbox Series X and S both provide 1440p as an option, so why is PlayStation not able to provide that perfect in-between resolution? I was hoping to be able to play Call of Duty Black Ops Cold War and Rainbow Six Siege with 1440p 120 frame specs, but I guess I won't be getting it with the PS5. Should I keep the monitor and hope for the best with the upscaling or should I go another display route? Anyway, keep up the fantastic work, boys, and stay safe during these uncertain election times. Thank you, Pablo, for writing in. Chris, what say you? First of all, this man bought a monitor based on your recommendation. Yeah, and I think it's going to be a good monitor. I think, uh, you know, a high refresh rate is like super important. And obviously, you're probably going to be getting some uh, you're, you're going to be getting some games that will run at 120 uh, if they're going to be doing 1080 on fuck on these monitors. But it is. You know, I, I wouldn't recommend getting rid of your monitor. You know, you, you could upgrade to 4K if you want. I just personally have never felt the need to have a 4K monitor because monitors are so it, it are inherently so small that like a lot of 4K is kind of wasted on them. It's 4K is for like a big like 55 inch TV. It's not really for a monitor like you can notice it, but things already look better on smaller screens anyway. Um, so I, I wouldn't get rid of your monitor just because you know, because in all likelihood, there's probably going to be a PS5 Pro that's going to have like, oh, it's 1440 now. It's like, you know what I mean? I feel like this is probably going to be rectified with a future skew or like whatever the hell. But I, I do think it's weird that they just don't support this middle resolution, presumably because, you know, a lot of games are going to be running at dynamic resolution that isn't necessarily like dynamic 4K, which will presumably drop to around there in like really high intensity or like, you know, really engine testing sequences in video games i i I don't um i don't understand this baffling lack of support for something that's just so basic uh it's very weird i don't have an answer like it's, it's definitely not because they're not able to it's just that they don't and i i really don't have an answer for you yeah there's got to be a reason why and it's another one of those buried weird things that they're just going to kind of trickle out it's the vita memory card stuff i'm telling you it's this is when we're going to start getting all of this information about things that aren't quite up to snuff. It doesn't really bother me. I have a 4K TV. I don't care. But yeah, it would be nice to get people that in between option. And to Chris's point, and Chris has made this point, I think, nicely. And I think others have as well. That 1440p is kind of indistinguishable from 4K. <laughs> you yeah. know, like at some point, like you're not really seeing it anymore. And I keep saying that I have a beautiful I have a beautiful, you know, um, 65 inch 4K LG TV and and HDR and all that and I'm just not able to yeah. see like a massive difference. I just don't see it. I'm so I'm sorry. You yeah. know, maybe I will on the new console, but I just don't. You see might it. you might notice it more on a 65 inch because it's a little bit bigger and there's just obviously like more uh, less pixel density. But I, I do think 
generally most displays like the jump from 1080p to 1440 is a lot more noticeable than 1440 to 4k mm. like in my experience and what i've seen and in my experience like just using all sorts of different displays i used to sell tvs at sears <laughs> so like i know tvs pretty well and i gotta say like i i've seen really impressive 4k tvs that i still would be like yeah i bet this looks really great in 1440 and i would rather just have my game run stable at 1440 than have it chugging at 4k you know we'll see we will see the next thing that is brought up here is the ssd slot will be disabled the expansion slot until further notice now People had been writing that this isn't a huge surprise because in Mark Cerny's Power Hour earlier this year, he did say that they were not going to be ready to expand the SSD on PS5. He basically did say that. So this isn't a huge surprise. What do you think about this? Like the 825 gigs that you'll be stuck with, basically, uh, you're going to be, I think, left with something like 600 after the OS. Mm -hmm. Then you see games like Call of Duty Black Ops, which I think are 100 uh, Cold War, which are, I think are 150 gigs. So this is going to be a problem. Uh, what did you make of this? I thought it was a little confusing. I think this is another example of just like paying attention to the broader, the broader landscape. I, I know that Microsoft is selling their own like kind of uh, Seagate SSD storage boost for the Series X and Series S, I think. I'm not sure about the Series S. I would imagine the Series S because it's purely digital. But it's weird to me. Like what, what would... So the thing is, it's it's built into the thing that you can upgrade the PS5 SSD. Like, there's a slot for it, but it's arbitrarily disabled because why? Like, I, 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 I don't... These are such weird omissions. Like, could they not get a slot working? And, like, would they, would they even be able to patch, like, patch that into being workable? Like, how does that even work? Yeah, I don't know. Presumably, I mean, presumably they have to be able to, they have to be able to patch it in. I, I, I mean, I assume, right? Like, that would be insane yeah. if, they, if they if they did. But it, it is really weird. I really do think a lot of these quality of life, these like small kind of quality of life things really add up at the end of the day for a lot of people. And I think, I don't know, maybe they just kind of rush this thing. I mean, presumably, right? If they put a freaking SSD slot specifically for upgrading that won't be ready for launch you have to assume they rush this thing at least to, at least to some aspect but it could also be that i mean i'm not a, i mean i don't have to reiterate i'm not a technological guy at all I, I defer to you and to dustin on this stuff but it could be that ssd I, i'm pretty sure ssds are so expensive that they might want they might just not have tested them like seagate and all those companies that will work with them and the, or traditionally have worked with them in the past and i think that they'll circumvent because jjd bear wrote in notes and said hey cnc it was revealed that 664 gigs is the confirmed available space after OS on the PS5 with games only getting bigger. Is this really enough? Will this be the ultimate caveat to next generation or will Sony find a way to compress assets even further or find an affordable way to expand storage? Anyway, podcast continue to keep me intrigued. Rock on. Rock on. Thank you, JJJD Bear. Uh, the question is, is like, I'm pretty sure that you can use a USB attached hard drive to store things, right? But yeah, it must be on the yeah. SSD to run. So you might have to send things back and forth. But the game compression thing is actually a concern because that was kind of the promise of a game like Spider-Man should conceivably become smaller because of the SSD. But then we see a game like Call of Duty Black Ops Cold War, which is huge, it's huge. 
And it makes you wonder, like, well, what did you guys do anything with the with the SSD? The idea is to make the games quicker and smaller. That was the whole idea. That's why it wasn't that big of a deal that 825 gigs was the only space because the games were supposed to be smaller. Yeah, no, that's 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 a, a nice hypothetical reality, but that's not how it's going to end up. How it's going to end up is you're going to have games that. Uh, previously had a lot of storage used on like assets and like maybe like engine stuff and and, and a lot of like uh, reused assets over and over again or like uh, textures and stuff like that that are presumably going to be smaller but because those because these are running on 4k machines these textures also have to be downloaded at 4k so you're going to be getting like way larger texture file sizes than you would have otherwise even though your overall asset over even though your overall asset count might be less and might actually be smaller so you're actually still going to get like incredibly large games i know i know on ps5 black house cold war is 133 gigabytes and on ps4 it's 95 and that difference is the 4k textures that's Mm. how big those those things are like those things 4k textures for a single game like that are about the size of a game at like the start of this generation so like it might be technically getting smaller in some way but it's still going to take a lot of hard drive space and like you said a lot of it's going to be used by the ui the ui and the os so you're not going to be able to store a lot of games on these things and you're probably gonna have to be deleting a lot which makes me really hopeful that maybe they have some way of acknowledging the fact that the ps4's download times are really bad and maybe they're better now to allow this kind of, you know, on the fly kind of um, digital means of, of storage maintenance. And, and maybe that's what they're betting on. It's like, hey, you know what? Our, our SSD is small, but you can download something way, way, way quicker now. So it's not that big of a deal to, you know, delete something and download something else or redownload whatever. But then there's still the issue of data caps for a lot of people. So like even, even that's not really a great solution. Yeah, this is uh, interesting. I'm going to be really fascinated. This might be the story of PS5's launch uh, in the in the weeks to come. So we're going to keep an eye on it, because if you want to download, say, Miles Morales, Call of Duty, Demon Souls and Sackboy or something, you're going to maybe be full at that. point. <laughs> oh, uh, by the way, there's also a 35 gigabyte uh, patch. I think. Yeah, <laughs> great. So uh, we'll see how it all works out. And they do need to figure out this solution. This isn't like Vita where. There was a slot on Vita that would literally never was used and no one had any idea what it was going to be used for. It's not like that. They they're prepared for this. I just don't think it's ready to go yet. And I think that they might be afraid of people going and looking for SSDs. And they're basically as expensive as the console at this point. You know, they're just really expensive devices. So they might just be waiting to do something that they can either put out their own on their own or like they did. Like, again, with Seagate and others where they just yeah. promote second party uh, uses so we'll keep an eye out on that uh, the final thing that I wanted to discuss Chris is uh, there is no additional PS5 stock everything is spoken for Wild. and Sony has and Sony has said this the week before it came out so I think this was the dissuade they in their blog post it's kind of cute because they're like we don't want people lining up for COVID reasons and you know social distancing or whatever I'm like come on man you you didn't make enough of these machines or demand was so high that you sold them all. I mean, either way, it's not a terrible problem for them to have. I guess I think that they would like to have more to sell. But the sad reality is if you did not pre-order a PS5, you will not get one. And I would assume it's not going to happen for you this year, which is kind of fucked up and sad, but true. What do you think of that? 
Yeah, I mean, uh, that's something that I, th- I feel like was a little bit expected. I mean, it, it was, I mean, you and I were talking about our skepticism that this thing would even launch this year at all. So, like, it's it's definitely not surprising to me that there's such a limited quantity of machines that, you know, a lot of people aren't going to get it, which is it's not ideal. You know, it's not the ideal, like, scenario for a, a console launch, but I guess you know, under the circumstances, and especially, you know, given how the pre-order de- launch day fiasco kind of, like, did not go well. It's not an ideal story for the PS5 launch, but, I mean, given everything that's happening, I feel like it's probably, like, not all that surprising, and it's probably a- as good as we could possibly get. Yeah, it's... I'm, I feel bad for people, you know? Like, yeah, it it's, sucks. It's, it does suck. You just gotta be a little more patient. I know it's easier said than done. But at the very least, we know that this probably isn't, it, this isn't like a Wii situation. You know what I mean? Like, they're, they're not just arbitrarily keeping, like, the the production lines, like, f- faltered or, like, or like oh, hey, you know, there's not that, there's just not enough to go around. It's just, it's just straight up, there's a global pandemic that actually led to it. So, at least, at the very least, I would hope that most people would be able to kind of get it, like, understand. It's good for them to set expectations, I guess, beyond the COVID stuff, because I think that they're full of shit with even caring about that mm-hmm. as far as people is concerned. But just saying, like, don't go because you're just gonna, everyone's going to be disappointed, you know, and then and then all of our tweets and our Facebook posts are just going to be covered with this shit. We're warning you now, you know, you're not going to if you did not pre-order, you will not get one. And um, that sucks because I know some people were kind of hoping to roll the dice, but there is there are no dice, I should say to roll so yeah and yeah you're right the blue ocean strategy that nintendo employs this kind of artificial scarcity that's not what sony does they've never done that and um that as soon as stock is available you'll find it i mean i've told the story about how i didn't find a wii in the store for over a year and i was looking like every day and it was my friend in nintendo uh the summer of 2007 that actually got me mine when metroid prime 3 came out he actually got it from the Nintendo employee store for me because I couldn't wait anymore. And then the first time I saw one in the store, I actually just bought it. I didn't even need it because I knew someone would take it. Um, and it, and it ended up being my brother. So, yeah. All right. Number nine, according to re- reporting from Nikkei Asia, it appears Sony may be on the verge of purchasing Crunchyroll, the ever popular and pioneering anime streaming service. Nikkei reports that the deal is in its final stage and will cost Sony around nine hundred and fifty million dollars. While this could create good synergy for Sony's own anime projects, the big goal here is to gain access to uh, Crunchyroll's 70 million free members, as well as its more modest 3 million paying customers hailing from nearly every country in the world. Crunchyroll was founded in 2006, though it didn't become a fully legalized and above board enterprise until 2009. It actually had if you read about it, it actually had a bunch of pirated shit and stuff early on. The service has bounced around under several corporate owners, more recently living under the Warner Media brand owned by AT&T. The sale, which seems likely, is motivated by what nearly motivated Warner Media and AT&T to shed its game studios, including Rocksteady, paying down its debt. Greg Wallace wrote into us on Patreon and says, "Hey, Chili Cheese Chris and Cool Ranch, or Hey, Chili Cheese Chris and Cool Ranch Chris." Oh, okay. So I'm I'm here twice with different flavors, yes. a variety. First, I'd like to congratulate you guys, Colin, on his house and new relationship, and Chris on the plan to move to the vastly superior coast of the U.S. <laughs> Thank you. I hope for the best uh, for both of you in your professional and personal lives. Thank you very much. Secondly, the question, what do you make of Sony's intentions to purchase the anime streaming service Crunchyroll? This is coming a few years after purchasing Funimation, one of, if not the largest source of localized anime for America. I know you guys aren't otaku, unless Dustin is here, which he isn't, 
But it is interesting to you that Sony will own two of the largest anime streaming services and a large swath of the anime distribution. Is Sony taking over anime? Uh, what do you think of this deal, Chris? This is more of a Sony-centric deal than a PlayStation deal, although it is obviously germane to our audience. Yeah, I mean, that's it's an interesting strategy. Like, I, I wonder... I mean, I guess if any of the if any of the big console manufacturers or like any of the big co- console manufacturer parent companies were going to buy Crunchyroll, it was definitely Sony. <laughs> you know, it, it, like it seems the most fitting in that in that realm. But I don't know what this. I don't know. I, I'm more curious as to what this means for PlayStation. Like, will there will there be like maybe because it doesn't make sense for for Crunchyroll to just not be on other platforms? Then you know what I mean? Like it's a, it's a subscription service. You want it to be as you want it to be as ubiquitous as Right. It possibly can be. So as far as PlayStation, I don't think this will. I, I really don't see much of any newsworthiness here, but it is interesting that Sony is just I didn't even realize that Sony purchased Funimation. Like, I, I was not aware that that was a thing. That yeah, happened. the uh, yeah, I'm, I want to look um, Hold on Funimation wiki. It didn't happen that long ago. Yes, yeah, Sony. No, Sony. Yeah, Sony Television Pictures Television owns them. Mm-hmm. So it's a totally another vertical. I don't know if um, if that will go under their stuff, and I'm sure that they will absorb them in that way. But we'll see. I mean, it's interesting. Just just as a brief story, I just think about Crunchyroll pretty often because I'm not an anime fan. But there were two companies when PS4 was launching in 2013 that seemed to understand the potential of what was going to happen on the media side for this console and for Xbox One. And it was Ustream and it was Crunchyroll. Those were the two companies that talked to me earliest and most often at Sony when I was covering a PlayStation for IGN. I'm sorry, at IGN when I was covering PlayStation for IGN. Those guys were all about talking to me, meeting with me, explaining things to me. And they kind of understood what I think a lot of companies understood later on. And of course, Netflix and Amazon understood already, which was, Streaming is the future. And I remember going to lunch specifically with the guys at Crunchyroll to talk about their service. And I interviewed them and put a story up about them. So I think about them sometimes because I'm like, well, it really worked out. They were a pretty upstart San Francisco company. There was like 10 of them. And now they're about to sell for a billion dollars to Sony. So some rich people are about to get get uh, to get minted, although it uh, didn't work out too well for Ustream. Of <laughs> yeah. What happened to them? I think they still exist, but they're not like Ustream was going to be. They were kind of like trying to be Twitch. I think when Amazon purchased Twitch, that was basically the end of Ustream. But Ustream was kind of there first. It it goes to show you that it's not always the company that broaches a space first. In fact, it almost never is. That ends up finding the most success there because you think about um, the the oldest social media networks like LiveJournal and Friendster and stuff like no one gave a shit about them. It was Facebook. And Twitter that came along and and stole the thunder. And that that kind of story happens over and over again in tech, especially Xerox created the mouse, for instance. You know, it's like there's all sorts of weird stories like that. So the earliest adopters are not always the ones that benefit, although it looks like the people at Crunchyroll are going to benefit a great deal. So congratulations to them. Not a done deal yet, though. We'll report on it when it is. Number 10, Sony has revealed the newest additions to its PlayStation Now streaming and downloadable library service. November has six notable additions to the library, all available for you to try now if you're a subscriber to the service. The biggest game is likely Injustice 2, NetherRealm's popular DC fighting game first launched in 2017, 
Avalanche Studios open world FPS Rage 2 launched in 2019 and published by Bethesda is also amongst the new games. Also on the list is the 2019 town builder My Time at Porsche, the Formula One racing game F1 2020, the quote unquote realistic RPG Kingdom Come Deliverance from Warhorse Studios, and finally action game Warhammer Vermintide 2 brought to market by Fat Shark in 2018. Sony reports that PlayStation Now's library is around 650 titles strong and the service is available on PS4 and PC and will naturally be available on PlayStation 5 as well. So some nice new little additions there. 650 yeah. games. Nothing yeah. to, to Rage, cry Rage about. 2 was, uh, Rage 2 was the time. Yeah, definitely. And uh, Kingdom Come, I'm, I, I bought it when it came out, but I still have not played it. I really want to give it a try. I want to see what it means to be realistic in a space where you expect a lack of realism groundedness. <laughs> well, groundedness and realism are two different things, right? This is going for like fallout is grounded. You're sleeping, you're eating, you're drinking, but it's not realistic. Uh, this yeah. game I think is grounded and realistic. I want to see what that looks like. Yeah. We'll see how that goes. Really interested to see what that looks like. All right. Number 11 is a wrap up website. Gamatsu reports that action RPG Warhammer chaos Bane Slayer edition will be ready for PS 5s launch and available for purchase beginning November 12th. Strategy RPG Star Renegades is coming to PS4 on November 25th. Adventure games Leisure Suit Larry Wet Dreams Don't Dry and Leisure Suit Larry Wet Dreams Dry Twice <laughs> are coming to PS4 in the spring of 2021. Beat'em Up Mayhem Brawler and the re-released Toy Soldiers HD are coming to PS4 at some point in 2021. Sorry, I had a typo there. Survival horror game Chernobylite is coming to PS4 and PS5 at some point in 2021. RPG Hellpoint, which is already on PS4, is coming to PS5, PS5 I'm sorry, at some point in 2021. And Brawler Dawn of the Monsters is coming to PS4 and PS5 in late 2021. The website also reports that horror game Dark Complete Edition on PS4 will no longer come out this year and will now launch in 2021. Website Push Square reports Robotic Brawler Override 2 Super Mech League is coming to PS4 and PS5 on December 22nd. It's an interesting release date. Uh, let's see here. I lost my place. Website IGN reports that ever popular Genshin Impact is receiving its 1.1 content update on November 11th. The official PlayStation blog confirms multiplayer game Warframe is coming to PS5 at launch. Shadow of the Colossus inspired game Pray for the Gods is coming to PS4 and PS5 in early 2021. And Dragon Quest XI-S, Echoes of the Elusive Age, due out on PS4 on December 4th, has a huge 10-hour demo now available on PS4. And your save will carry over, in case you're curious. Developer Visual Concepts has outlined some massive new additions coming to PS5's iteration of NBA 2K21 all wrapped up in a hub city, a hub called The City, which is exclusive to Next Gen. Sony-owned team Ben Studio has revealed that once patched, its zombie game Days Gone will run on PS5 in backwards compatibility at up to 60 frames per second in dynamic 4K. And finally, developer Ilphonic has revealed its once popular 2017 multiplayer horror game Friday the 13th is receiving one last update, which will disable online gameplay and matchmaking, though you can still play peer-to-peer -peer, peer -peer and locally. Julian Santana wrote into us, Chris, and says, hi, CNC, would Chris give Days Gone another try now that it runs at 4K60 on PS5? I am personally going to platinum it after I am done with Miles Morales. Hmm. Chris? Uh, I, I don't know. I, I, I really don't foresee myself going back to Days Gone anytime soon. I, I feel like I feel like I get it. Like, I understand what it does. I'm just not looking for that. At all, especially when there's going to be so many new games to play. You know what I mean? Like uh, Miles Morales, I, I want to play Sackboy. I want to play, I want to play Demon Souls. You know, I, I want to finish Final Fantasy Seven for the love of God. There's there's still a lot of stuff that is more recent that I, I feel like I have to 
really prioritize and Days Gone as as a game that I just didn't enjoy. I just, I just don't see I don't see a reason to go back to a game that I didn't enjoy unless I really feel like motivated to do it. Like I, I've done this a few times with like The Witcher Three, where it's like you know I'll play The Witcher Three for a while and then I'll be like I'm not feeling this and I'll put it down and then like a year or two later I'll I'll feel like a completely unprovoked urge to maybe give it another shot and days gone for me is one of those things where it's like i'll get i'm sure i'll give it a shot again but i really want it to be purely because i want to play it because if i'm playing it just because i feel like i have to i'm I'm not gonna like it i hear that i don't know that uh, for me performance would not get me to go back to a game that i didn't want to play yeah yeah unless it was really fucked unless it was just purely like I, I do think control is a game that like i've been holding off on playing the dlc for that game because although i'm interested in that dlc especially like the alan wake stuff that they they they've recently been talking about i just don't want to experience that game at the performance that i remember experiencing on playstation 4 pro so i i think performance it does affect me in the sense that like yeah i'm more willing to go back and try more new stuff that i maybe didn't feel like doing after i was done with the initial run of the game but just playing the same game again just because it runs better like unless i've already been playing it for a while and i'm looking to kind of like get a little bit of boost out of something that i already enjoy it's not really that big of a motivating factor for me i i i will go back to control before i go back to days gone certainly yeah control is actually one of those examples of a game that could use a performance boost so no totally uh, yeah yeah days gone i don't think was really a problem once it was patched back in the day as we discussed Bare- honestly the performance is barely a problem for me like uh, the, the problem was you know the weird fade out and fade in cutscenes and the walking and slowly the with my wife across a riverbed like i'm fucking in a disney movie all right chris let's talk about our intriguing games of the week we both made the same choice here which is the dark pictures anthology little hope yeah, I promised we would talk about that. Of course, this is the game that just came out October 30th. Uh, Little Hope is the second of a promised eight games from the Dark Pictures Anthology from Supermassive and Bandai Namco. It is a horror game that takes place in New England, and it's about like a ghost town, and it looks pretty cool. I want to recommend it. I'm going to buy it to support them, like I said, and then hopefully get to it at some point. It's uh, It'll be backwards compatible, obviously, if you want to play it on PS5 and I think the game looks really cool and I'm glad that it's a step up or so they say from Man of Madon, which I think was a nice first attempt for them. But this is their second attempt. And then, of course, like we said, it, it teased a third one, which will come out next year and so on and so forth. What do you have to say about Little Hope, Chris? Yeah, I mean, uh, we talked about this a little bit earlier and like, you know, I'm, I'm not big necessarily on uh, supermassive games. I'm not I wasn't really huge on Until Dawn. Everybody kept calling me Chris from Until Dawn for like the longest freaking. time. Yeah. Yeah, I remember that. But uh <laughs> Yeah, I, I just feel like this is probably the game of the games that are coming out this this last week that were most interesting to me. I don't know if you, I mean, I'm sure you did because you picked it, but looking through like everything that's coming out this week, I I I couldn't make heads or tails of what the fuck I was looking at in any in, with any of these. Like, there's there's one game called Fight. Just just fight, and it looks <laughs> like it's from the fucking '90s. I, I don't know what it is, but like, man, uh, this little hope dark pictures seem like the most reasonable thing to t- to pick out of this. I, I felt like an asshole when I saw you picked it, too, because I was like, oh, God damn it. Pick the same one. Yeah, that's OK. I mean, that's all right. I, we, we are giving our honest answer. And I think that 
people can go scroll through the rest of the shit that came out this this week. But this is really the only game of, of note. And obviously, everyone's kind of clearing the path now for the next console. So, yeah, uh, things are going to slow down. And uh, yeah, but we want to give a shout out to Supermassive, Bandai Namco and the Dark Pictures Anthology. Little Hope is our intriguing game of the week. But Ryan Harvey wrote into us on Patreon, Chris, and he says, hey, CNC, some old studio Liverpool employees just released a game called Pacer, and I am absolutely loving it. Have you guys heard about this game? I'm really glad I found it playing on my new PS5 controller. I can't help but feel how cool this game would be with adaptive triggers for the air brake system. So I do want to give a, a shout out to Pacer as well. Pacer came out the day before Little Hope, and it's from a studio called R8 in England. And like uh, our friend Ryan here said, these are some of the guys that did work at Studio Liverpool, Sony Liverpool, which was at one time a very popular Sony owned studio that closed almost 10 years ago now, back in 2012. These are the guys that were best known for Wipeout. Yeah. And uh, Wipeout is beloved. Their last game was Wipeout 2048, which was on PS3 and Vita before they got closed down. And Pacer is supposed to be somewhat of a spiritual successor to that. So if you're looking for something not only like uh, not only like Wipeout, but from guys that worked on Wipeout, this might be a game for you. Oh, yeah. This just looks straight up like Wipeout. Yeah. I'm totally about this. Holy shit. This is this is awesome. I'm looking at the trailer right now. I, well, there I you might, go. Pacer. Uh, I will definitely jump into this. Cool. There you go. From R8. So enjoy it. Let us know what you think next week. Yeah. And finally, Chris, let's get into our six questions, comments, concerns, thoughts, and ideas. Tradition dictates on Sacred Symbols that we end with six questions, comments, concerns, thoughts, and ideas from the audience. And we'll begin, of course, from Patreon with Trent Sinning. He says, how's it going, fellas? Could you possibly shed some light as to why some games launch with a discount? I recently picked up the new game Ghost Runner and it's 20% off for the first week of its release. I've also noticed many other games do launch discounts like this over the years. Why do things like this happen? Is it the draw in the I'll wait for a sale crowd right off the bat? Is it a lack of faith in the game? Thanks and keep up the great work. I think there are a lot of reasons for this, but what do you think, Chris? Why do you think games are discounted right away? I don't know. Like, uh, this is definitely more of a business side kind of thing, but I, I didn't even realize it was for sale. I just thought it was a cheap game because uh, I also got Ghost Runner because, I, you know, it looked awesome. Uh, but yeah, 20% off is pretty, is pretty huge for like launch day. I think that it's for a lot of different reasons. So we recently launched, uh, you know, cause I own a part of a game dev and we launched our game twin breaker on PS4 and Vita earlier this year. And then just a few weeks ago, we launched on switch Xbox one and PC. And because of the fact that our game was already out and therefore wasn't really going to get picked up by anyone because it's already been reviewed and all that, we knew that we were really going to need to try to get this game into more hands. And so we immediately, our publisher, East Asia Soft, immediately discounted the game 20%. And that was helpful for us to proliferate the game at what, $7.99 instead of $9.99. Now, the shitty thing about that is that we just eat that money um, along with Sony. So by selling the game for $2 cheaper, uh, we end up getting something like $1.30 less. Sony gets 70 cents less, whatever, however it works out. So, or it might be $1.40 and 60 cents. So, it hurts everyone involved, but it proliferates the game. And the idea is that it's volume over money's made. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. I will say on I, I will say Twin Breaker sold pretty softly on the new consoles. We think a lot of that has to do again with not day and date releasing, which is something we're just not going to do again. I don't think I think it was a bad idea in hindsight to do it that way, um, because people that were interested in the game at the time were not able to get it. Then they move on. So yeah. so that's a problem. And we have to consider that. But I think I don't know if it's a. I don't know if it's a lack of confidence in the game so much as it's, you got to get attention when you're releasing into a marketplace where there could potentially be 30 games that yeah. came out alongside you. 
you need something to pop up. And sometimes seeing that PlayStation Plus icon or that discount icon can draw eyes. So I think that's why it's happening. And I can explain to you again. And I did explain why we did it for our game. Yeah, as well. It, it helps, especially like towards the end of a generation where people probably aren't necessarily investing a lot of money in the consoles that they know they're going to replace. E- e- even if it is like even if we do have like this promise of backwards compatibility, I, I think just psychologically speaking, uh, the eve before a new console launches, I feel like most people are like, ah, just save your money and wait for the new thing, you know, even if you don't have to. And like a lot of your stuff is going to run on the next machine anyway. So, yeah, it's true. And we've said it many times, Chris. Games sell in the beginning and then they don't sell anymore. Yeah. So if you discount the game now, you might get eyes on it and you might not get eyes regardless, because even these sales that Sony does uh, in which we're sometimes involved with, whether Habroxia or Twin Breaker or Perils of Baking, and we get involved in those. But those sales are often flooded as well. So even putting your stuff on sale isn't really effective. Sony's not great at promoting their stuff. That's why I'm so eager to see what the PS5 marketplace is and how to find Twin Breaker and all of that just to see how it all works. So Trent. Thank you for writing in. Jack Blanchard wrote in and said, hey, CNC, last week, the console gaming is dying thing from the end of last generation was brought up. How did this how did this thought ever become so popular? What evidence suggested that would have been likely or possible? Clearly, it didn't end up being the case, but I'm just as interested as to why people thought that to begin with. Uh, This is a pretty obvious one, I think, Chris, but I'm curious what your take is on this before I answer. Well, yeah, I think I think people saw the obvious advantage that PC was starting to get over consoles that and it hadn't necessarily always been that way. Like there are famously a lot of uh, PC ports of console games from specifically around like 2002 to 2005, 2006 that were pretty terrible. Like uh, I I know Spider-Man 2 is like a a really huge like watershed moment for for a lot of people Uh, was amazing on console and the the PC version was sincerely one of the worst games that I think has ever been made. And we had a lot of that early on, but like towards like the end of the 2000s and early 2010s, like we started to see like, you know, really, really powerful PCs start to become like more affordable. Laptops obviously became more, more competent. And a lot, a lot of the thinking just seems to be, or seemed to be at the time, like why would you get a machine uh, that does less when you could just have a machine that you can just make stronger in perpetuity and logically it makes a ton of sense but the issue is consoles are just really mega convenient and they probably will always be more convenient than a pc could be and i think that's still the staying power of consoles honestly like i i have a pc that's really really capable like it can do pretty much anything that i needed to i could play 4k i could play 120 frames i could run everything on ultra and I'm not even I'm not even rocking like a crazy expensive graphics card. I have I have a pretty old one, but it's a competent machine. But I still at the end of the day, I'm, I'm super pumped for the Series X and PS5 because, yeah, I, I would love to play a game like Destiny with the PC features like 60 frames and FOV sliders. But from the comfort of my couch or from the comfort of my bed, like I, I don't feel like hunching over my freaking desk all the time when I want to get that experience. And I think. I think it, it might actually be better for consoles this time around than it has been in a while. Maybe not necessarily in sales because of you know everything that's going on, but I think they're I think consoles are going to be more appealing to more people now than they probably have been in a while. Yeah. So PC is one massive component of it. And Chris will remember and a lot of our listeners will also remember that PC gaming itself was left for dead in the post crisis era. Because consoles were going to kill it, right? And then PC gaming is stronger than ever now. So 
this conventional wisdom, I think, Chris, comes a lot from just the, the proximity of what's happening. When you're closest to the center of gravity, I think things are distorted more. When you're outside of that center of gravity beyond the event horizon, then you can kind of see things for what they are. And I think the other major disruptive thing during this moment, let's say 2011, 2012, 2013, were, of course, not only PCs, but phones. And you'll recall that phone gaming, which I thought was always crazy. I remember making fun of this from the very beginning, like there's no way. There were a lot of thoughts that like phone gaming, browser gaming, Facebook gaming were going to kill consoles because of how <laughs> popular it was. And this was a thing that even even mini consoles like when Ouya was announced, I'll yeah. never, ever, ever forget the excitement for that in IGN and me being like, why are you excited about this thing? It looks like fucking shit. What were people's reasons for me? Like, I, I can't even conceptualize being excited for the Ouya. Uh, I remember I remember it, dude, like so well. We, we at IGN we used to do stand up meetings every morning in the news pit and people were talking about like how exciting this was and how we had a bunch of them pre-ordered and and all this shit. So I was like uh, I was befuddled because I was like, this thing looks fucking stupid and the games look stupid. The only thing that was ever worth a damn on that console was Towerfall, which immediately got off of it. So. I think that it was a combination to Trent or I'm sorry to Jack's question of PC gaming and kind of what was happening there and it was coming and going. And then I think mobile gaming and and app gaming and browser gaming like remember Farmville, for instance, was like there was a time when Farmville was huge, huge. More people were playing Farmville than anything on console. And that just kind of came and went. It's a very transient thing because it's why we ended up being so successful, but having such a poor attach rate. Mm-hmm. And that we kind of just we was around for a lot longer than anyone cared about it. We sold all of its units in the first, let's say, 60 percent of its life cycle. And then when a game like Skyward Sword came out in 2011, Uncharted 3 outsold Skyward Sword. Right. It's weird yeah. considering the install bases. So the point of that of bringing that up is sometimes gimmicky things are things that are going to seemingly revolutionize things like motion controls. They don't pan out. PC gaming didn't kill console gaming. Mobile gaming didn't kill anything because mobile gaming kind of sucks. I'm I'm sorry. You know, it just kind of sucks. And it's always kind of sucked. There are, of course, examples of that not being true. You, your monument valleys and your plants versus zombies and all that. But most of the time, these games are terrible. I think that what drew people back to consoles, Jack, and why console gaming became so strong again is because people were like, we don't want that. We want this. And so now we're in this situation where we wait and see. It seems like these consoles are going to be pretty, pretty powerful and they're going to sell every unit that they can. What I'm most interested in is who will sell more. Yeah. And I think we'll find out soon enough. Austin Prentice wrote into us and said, hey, oh, Chris and Colin. I actually said Colin and Chris. Weeks ago, the PlayStation community was up in arms regarding the news that Spider-Man Miles Morales will also be coming to PS4. Now that we've had about two weeks or so from the launch of the PS5 and with supply constraints seemingly evident, Miles being on PS4 will be a great appetizer until more PS5 units become available for purchase. Looking back, did the community overreact to the cross-gen availability of Miles? And if supply for the PS5 is severely limited this holiday season, is having titles like Miles and Horizon 2 being on multiple generations of systems really such a bad thing? Keep up the great work as always. I think that's a great question, Austin. What do you think, Chris, about what he presents? Yeah, I, I think in a, in a normal year with, you know, a normal progression of events and, you know, no pandemic no lockdowns no supply constraints no economic crash no super high rate of employment i feel like in a situation like that it 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 would suck to have these you know next generation titles kind of marred by the fact that they have to run on inferior hardware 
uh, especially inferior hardware from seven years prior. I, th- I think it definitely probably hampers things in in a lot of ways that maybe aren't all too all too great. But you know, yeah, I, I have to say, given the circumstances and like the lack of machines available for everybody, I think it's probably a good idea to have these things out on you know the lesser systems just to kind of get people to keep people involved with the ecosystem if anything else because as long as they're still playing on playstation playstation wins you know like even if even if these people don't upgrade to ps5 but they're still interested in playing you know uh miles morales or horizon or who knows if god of war even you know we don't know but i think yeah i i think it 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 does it does good. Obviously, the main reason why they're doing that is because there's so many PS4s out in the wild that it would be dumb to put so much money into making an uh, in, in, into making an exclusive that isn't available to that like sizable portion of the of the population that has already invested in your company uh, and in your product and your and in your ecosystem. But I, I think this is kind of like a side effect of like, yeah, you know what? That's it's not so bad. It's not necessarily the worst thing that these things aren't purely next gen. Although it's it's nice that we are getting a mix of things. It's nice that. We do have Demon Souls, and um, is Demon Souls next gen purely? Yeah, it is next gen only. Yeah, it's it's nice that we're getting stuff like like Demon Souls and like Ratchet that kind of also make you some kind of a compelling case. Yeah, I think that this is a great question, and Austin and Gamey pause because I was a little befuddled and annoyed that these games were cross gen because we never really had cross gen launch first party exclusives before. So when you think about games like an Assassin's Creed game or a Call of Duty game always come out on both next gen and last gen, or at least have in recent years, but you always had your Killzone, Shadowfall, your Knack, whatever, that would only be on the console. And so when you saw that Miles Morales was on PS4 and PS5, it was disappointing because I was like, well, it's a PS4 game on PS5. I mean, that's what it is. And it was frustrating. But now that we know that there are no consoles to buy... It, it makes a lot more sense, and I don't know that that was necessarily their intention, but it's great for people that can't find the console or don't want to or can't afford the console to be able to play Miles Morales, have a big first party game and the same thing with Horizon. So I don't disagree with you at all, Austin. I think that it is a nice move. Horizon, maybe less so, because by the time Horizon 2 launches, I don't think PS5 is going to be supply constrained anymore. And then it's just going to be about if you want one or can afford one or not. But yeah, it's not terrible. It's just that I think we've been programmed to have the big games from first and second party be only on the new console. And so change is a little scary. And we just have to, for me anyway, and we have to get that. We have to get over that. So I think you're right on. Thank you for writing in. Wet Willie wrote in and said, hey, Mutz, my question is mainly for Chris, but I would appreciate Colin's input as well. Why is the Killzone franchise considered by both of you to be lesser quality than Resistance? While I enjoy both games, they are superior to each other in different ways. Resistance has the better story and campaign, while Killzone has the better multiplayer. In my opinion, the Killzone multiplayer is actually underrated overall and doesn't get credit for some of the innovations it brought, like Warzone and Operations Mode. While it makes sense that Colin prefers Resistance, I am curious as to why a more online-focused gamer like Chris prefers the game with a lesser quality multiplayer suite. Thanks and stay safe out there. What do you say, Chris? Yeah, that's an interesting kind of interpretation. I I I think I just like Resistance more as as a series because it has such a strong single player component and the reason why i don't care that the multiplayer component of resistance is like a little bit lackluster is because i already have a plethora of fantastic multiplayer fps suites that i can go to to compete with it like it's totally fine 
if I don't like the the resistance multiplayer suite, I can go to any number of Halo multiplayer suites. I can go to any number of I can go to Destiny. I can go to Call of Duty. I can go to Battlefield. And I know it's 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 nice, it's good to have like a strong multiplayer component in your FPS, certainly. I think that's what carried Halo for so long. But at the same time, Doom Doom 2016 and Doom Eternal are some of my favorite FPSs ever and their multiplayer suites are in the case of 2016's pretty pretty freaking abysmal and in the course of in in the case of doom eternal just not really all that interesting so it's not necessarily that like i just gravitate to these fps's that have strong multiplayer suites that's a nice bonus but what i really care about is how they feel to play and i i've always just felt that resistance feels more unique as an fps than killzone does because i feel like killzone borrows a lot of design elements from Call of Duty, not in the sense that, you know, level design is the same or that your abilities are the same, but in the sense that moving around and shooting feels kind of the same in that. Whereas in Resistance, you almost feel like there's a stylistic element to, you know, the way the guns feel, the way you move around, the way you aim. It's just more unique of an experience in the same way that Doom is more unique of an experience than, I don't know, any number of other generic FPSs. Uh, And I think that's the main reason. I I don't need something to compete with Destiny or battlefield to be a good shooter yeah i don't i mean i've said this so many times i don't think we've seen the last of kill zone i just don't and i don't think we've seen the last of resistance either it's good that sony this is a good problem for sony to have because their first parties they own these ip obviously but their first parties pioneered these games insomniac wasn't a first party at the time when it pioneered resistance but i do implore you uh wet willie if you can go back and play the original kill zone it's available actually super massive as i said earlier ported it to ps3 So go play it on PS3 if you want. And then if you have Fall of Man, the original Resistance game, which is only available on disc, go play that. They're both pretty crude, but I think you'll find that Killzone is a lot cruder. Now, that, of course, is because Killzone was a PS2 game. Uh, Resistance was a PS3 launch game. But I think that I personally understand what he's saying. I think a lot of PlayStation fans agree. I think Killzone sales are overall stronger than Resistance's sales, and I think it's the online suite that is revolutionary. I mean, there are there were a lot of really interesting shit going on in Killzone games that are now part of many multiplayer suites, and I totally get that a lot of people feel like Gorilla was kind of robbed of the glory of that, but it's because their game just wasn't interesting enough, and uh, so that's just the way it kind of goes. I prefer Resistance because I like the story. I like the story of the Chimera. I like the more... They're both single-player games, but I like the more single-player focus of resistance resistance 2 is the only resistance game that had multiplayer in it as i remember maybe fall of man did too uh, but resistance 3 didn't so they're they've kind of diverged and they're kind of different sorts of games but i would prefer resistance over Killzone. but i think you'll get both and i don't i really don't think you've seen the last of Killzone. so either way don't worry i don't think it i don't think it would be wise of them to abandon either, either of those franchises i think they can both live again and maybe have them compete with each other to see which one wins the crown and then focus on that franchise as your FPS franchise. John O'Peck wrote into us and said, hey, fellas, with 113 million PS4s in the wild, it seems our first and even second wave of next gen AAA releases will be predominantly available on both PS5 and PS4. We've seen this already with Miles Morales and the Horizon sequel, not to mention huge games like Cyberpunk, Call of Duty, Assassin's Creed developed to run on older gen. Frame rate, haptics and quick loading will be great features, but I'm wondering about the in-game concessions developers will need to make to sell more copies on the PS4 when the most ambitious studios can't design breathtaking, innovative games from the ground up with only PS5 in mind. Do you think this forward compatibility will delay the arrival of titles that feel entirely next gen? And what do you think will be the first game that truly couldn't run on the PS4? 
So I wanted to talk about this because we've, we this kind of settles the conversations Chris and I have been having on the show for a while. I think we're both in agreement, Chris, that Ratchet is probably the first game that would literally not run on PS4, even if you downrezzed it because of the instantaneous loading. I would imagine Demon Souls would run. It would just wouldn't look like it looks. Yeah. What do you think about this? Yeah, well, I, I don't know. Like, I think the the idea that like forward compatibility and backwards compatibility and stuff and the approach that they're taking to their new next gen releases uh the idea that that would delay the arrival of truly next gen games i i don't think it's true for the reasons that we just talked about obviously ratchet and clank is something that is not going to be able to run on base ps4 and it's going to be exclusive to next gen and it looks next gen uh but also i i would say that just just based on the SSD alone, I, I feel like we're going to achieve next gen type uh, games on in this generation far quicker than we have in previous generations. I, I don't know about you, but like in my opinion, it's taken a while just typically, f- especially in the last two generations, I feel like for games to really take advantage of what new hardware has to offer. I, I feel like with the 360 with the 360 PS3 generation, you got like really nice looking games, but I don't necessarily there think there's anything about you know the first uncharted that couldn't be done on a PS2 just maybe looking considerably worse. You know, there was nothing for a while, and it wasn't until like I feel like maybe you know maybe even like 20 like 10 like 2011 like when we started seeing like gta 5 and stuff or uh and and like late like last of us when we started seeing stuff like wow what the hell that's kind of that's wild and i feel like the fact that we're getting something like ratchet so soon is kind of proof of that like it it usually takes a while like obviously the visuals are always impressive like obviously fight night i remember on the 360 being like impressive visually but this is like Ratchet looks like true next gen shit, like loading into completely different environments, like instantaneously like that. That's not something that should be kind of forgotten about or just sort of like sneezed at. That's like a real fucking thing that usually I feel like in a lot of console generations would have taken a few years to get to. Yeah. And just to protect you from the correctors, both of the games you mentioned came out in 2013. But the point is. Right, 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 right. right. No, I, I mean, like, that's how long it took for games to really feel like they were right. utilizing that machine to the best of their abilities. Yeah, no. The, and the point, I, I think the point's well taken. It takes time. And I do think to to Jono's point, I think that it will be about haptics and quick loading. The haptics we're not really going to appreciate until we play the games. So I, I can't speak to that. But they're supposed to be pretty crazy. Uh, I'll be the judge of that for myself and of course Chris will be the judge of that but the controller is supposed to be pretty mind-bending in some ways and I want to see how that works so it could be that while Chris was saying like we we had a lot of graphical increases and stuff now it's about the accoutrements that come along with the game to make them more playable so we're not only talking about scope and beauty but we're talking about quickness and we're talking about haptics and immersion and all that kind of stuff I don't know when we're going to start seeing games that really repeatedly do that it's going to take time it takes time Developers and publishers are jumping into this thing for the first time. It's a risk and and not everything they're going to do is going to work. The games Chris brought up are interesting because those are considered some of PS3's best games and it took the entire generation to figure that out. So hopefully it doesn't we don't get to that point. I've said many a time it's amazing that Drake's Fortune and The Last of Us are from the same studio running on the same machine. Put those games side by side and look at them, play them, feel them, right? Listen to them. And it's amazing. 
that they are the same studio, same studio, six years apart on the same machine. Pretty interesting stuff. Yeah. Actually, not even six years, five and a half years apart. Your boy, Nikki V has the final inquiry. I like to call him your boy, Nikki the fifth. Yeah. He says, hey, penis pinching Colin and racist solid snake. Chris, that's not very nice. <laughs> I remember very nice. Oh, thing I to love say. it. What the fuck is a roguelike or a roguelite? I first heard this term in Philip Mewson's Dead Cells review, and I thought, well, of course, you're going to be caught plagiarizing if you steal made up words. Fast forward to today, and it seems like this label is being applied to almost every indie game. Please help me solve my ignorance here. How long has this genre been around and has it always been this popular? Cheers, boys. Well, Nikki, the fifth uh, roguelites are about 40 years old. Um, the first roguelite was a game called Rogue, which was a PC game that came out in 1980. And roguelite, or let's start with roguelike, L-I-K-E. These are two different things. Roguelike and roguelite, L-I-T-E. Yeah. Roguelikes are games that are like the original Rogue. And Rogue was all about dungeon crawling. And of course, this was very crude text-based stuff. So don't so picture in your mind. I'm sure you can go find videos. But it's about different setups and kind of going through the game in different ways and having different kinds of games. So uh, it's procedural generation. It's different enemy locations and all of those kinds of things. A lot of it is turn based. So if you think about games like Azure Dreams or something where like you move one space, an enemy moves one space, you move one space, an enemy moves a, a, a space. So it's about random, ge- randomly generated and procedural levels. It's about um, usually 2D or tile graphics and things like that. So those are what rogue likes are. Rogue lights, L-I-T-E-S, take some of those things and put them into their games, whether it's procedural generation, turn-based action, even things like permadeath, which is a huge part of roguelikes. So hopefully that answers the question. Do you have anything to add to that, uh, Chris? Uh, no, I think, I think you nailed it. Um, if I added anything, I would just be repeating shit. <laughs> that, was, that was a really concise definition, I think. There's a lot of there's a lot of interesting like because you could argue that like uh, Watch Dogs Legions has some elements of that uh, with the permadeath system. Right. And this is where we always talk about where genres bleed so much that like role playing game doesn't really mean anything anymore. And Chris always brings up like Madden is a turn based role playing game. It is. And so roguelite L.I.T.E. doesn't mean a whole lot anymore. Roguelikes, you'll know it when you play it. If you play a game like Spelunky dead cells game which you brought up games like that you'll know um they're a lot different than the original rogue which would be basically unrecognizable but that's where a lot of the idea of procedural generation permadeath kind of going through over and over again and getting better and better that's where it comes from yeah so the genre is about 40 years old uh, but really didn't come to prevalence until the indie pc movement i would say 10 to 15 years ago and uh, obviously bled over to uh, console as well 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 right educational Educational indeed, and that's <clears throat> all we have. I got a little bit of uh, mucus in the throat there. Oh, gross. <laughs> that's all we have uh, for this episode, Chris, of Sacred Symbols. Do you have any uh, closing comments before we go? No, man. This is the last, uh, the calm before the storm, basically. It is. When, you, when we record this, it'll be the day. It'll, it'll, unless we die before yeah, well, that, I mean, which is possible. Let's hope, you know, let's hope that doesn't happen, but. Yeah, I'd like to live to see it at least. Yeah, at the very least. I, I want to at least smell like a the box, you know? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You got to smell the box. So, uh, yeah, as I said earlier in the episode uh, to Chris, we will be recording and publishing, I would say, 12 to 24 hours later than usual for patrons. That's just to give us 
something to talk about. We usually record on Thursdays. We may still record on Thursday, but I'd prefer to record on Friday and then publish immediately. That way we can spend an entire day with the console, feel it out, play the games we want to play, dick around. We'll have Dustin on to get his opinions as well. And yeah, we'll have a really good time. I'm looking forward to it. It's the calm before the storm. So, Chris, thank you for your time. Appreciate you as always. Of course, man. And thank you all out there for your love, kindness, and support of our show, whether on free feeds or on Patreon. We'll see you next time for more Sacred Symbols. Big episode coming up. Till then, goodbye. Take care, guys. Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast, is a product of and a registered trademark of Collins Last Stand LLC and is recorded from Richmond, Virginia and Burbank, California, USA. This show is conceived by, is written by, and is produced by me, Colin Moriarty. My co-host is Chris Raygun. You can find me on Twitter at NoTaxation and on Instagram at CLS Moriarty. Chris is on Twitter at Chris R. Gunn and on Instagram at Chris underscore Ray underscore Gunn. Sacred Symbols is edited by Dustin Furman. To message the show online, please use Patreon's DM service. As you know, all of Colin's Last Stand shows, including Sacred Symbols, are fan-funded on Patreon at patreon.com slash Stand. The following names are at the producer level or higher on Patreon, and we are eternally grateful for your kindness, generosity, and fandom. Casual Misfits Gaming, Nick DeMarco, Constantine Valencia, an unofficial controller podcast, Andrew Morgan, Gregory Slabinski, Stephen Nieder, Ross Marenka, Zach Parsley, Miguel A. Brewer, Morgan Ashley, Ben, Azan, Isaac Wasteman, Michael Vecchio, Brianne, Joey Finelli, Jerome Ferreira, SL the FMA, Ryan T. Mandel, Jorge Palomino, Paul Joyce, Enrique Perez, Don Lee, Daniel D'Amour, Brad Cooley, Jeremy Key, Patrick Leslie, Homeworld Hub, 3DPrintShop.com, Chris Buston, Nick Thornton, Betty Ann Moriarty, Colin Jewell, Nelson LeBlanc, Daniel Johnson, Zach Bonham, Jay Getter, Terrell Parson, Vexius, Jeff Mercado, Galja, Darren Gardner, Of Fortuna, Boots, Megadet, Sal Balcazar, Raul Melendez, Bloody Fang, Eric Harden, Matt Martin, Rodney Coleman, Chris Moore, TB Lightning, Anti Kinnanen, Taylor Barkley, Chris Galvin, Ryan Murdoch, Mason Cadillac, Ollie Fritz, Chris Buston, George Anthony Nunez, Kyle Hagel, Colin Love, Daryl E. Naiman, Ryan R. Kittredge, Toby Ryland, Michael S., Damon Weathers, Carl Tolman, Richter86, Barrett Boswell, Christopher DeVaio, Kevin Komaki, Blake Israel, Sean Mason, Josh Gravelick, Brian Chan, Connor Gashian, Organic Produce, Mubarak, Carlos Algorit, McDog18, Richard Hebert III, Miranda Grubba, Ray Laja, David Castanez, Donnie Nolan, Josh Yeager, Toothless Gibbon, Martin Beck, Gavin, Nathan R., Joe McPartland, Sci-Fi Book Club, Lawrence F. Prokop, Colin Davenport, Eric Finkenbeiner, Lewin Ray Loper, Dylan Burns, John Scholz, David Chestnut, Yusuf, Anton K., Alan Tremblay, Tyler Bellow, Tony Zaniga, Sean Battershall, Robbie Hensley, Alex Cabrera, Lennon Brixey, Corey Wyatt, James Kinslow III, Hugo Desk, Peter Reynolds, William O'Carroll, JSCO828, Jesper Jansen, Phil Crone, Throw7, Mike Wayne, Adam Nix, Josh McKinney, Jesse Owens, Michael Gates, Alex Gates, Sean Chandler, Petro Rose, Gio Corsi, Greg Lotta, Gerald Pennington, Justin Wagaman, Chad Lewis, Todd Paxton, Joshua Smallwood, Shane Rayum, Spencer Brand, John Cordero, Greg Julius, Mark Boggio, Keith A. Lewis, Marius Peterson, Tyler Harris, Matthew Perdue, Toby Schutman, Patrick Carper, Mad Mock Media, and Jonathan Rice. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, 
answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly. Which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.